What's up, everyone? Welcome to Game Face, episode 102 on Sifted Games, freshly minted on Patreon, freshly minted on YouTube. Put up the first episodes of Game Face on YouTube in forever this past week. Uh, 100 or 101? We put up 100 first, and then we put up 101. Uh, thank you to everyone who's watched those episodes. Hope you guys are enjoying them. Um, our Patreon is up and live. Uh, had a great first few days. It has kind of stalled since, so... We need your help, folks. If you guys want Game Face to stick around, if you want Pactor Factor to stick around, if you want Sifted to stick around, we need your help. Even if you don't want to give two bucks for pack or four dollars for all the other stuff, even if you just give us a dollar, just because you love us, that would be great. So uh, thank you very much, by the way, to everyone who has contributed to the Patreon so far. Mm. Um, I think if you look at the number of patrons versus the amount of money that we've raised, holy cow, people have been incredibly generous with how much they're pledging each month. So thank you very much. I can't say it enough. Uh, hopefully once you guys start watching, it was a little weird because we put up episode 100 first. Mm -hmm. And we're wearing suits and, an odd one. Yeah. and it's an odd episode. But I think a lot of people didn't get that. Mm -hmm. uh, they're like, wait a minute, what's up with this show? Why are these guys wearing suits and why are Adam and Marcus coming in and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so hopefully once we kind of settle in, you guys start seeing how our regular episodes work. Uh, you guys will like it even more. So... Uh, been a big week in games, Matt. We got a ton of topics again. Last week we had 11. This week we got 12. Uh, so it's another big show. Um, I think one thing I would say about last week's episode is we we were quicker going through topics because we, we kind of have to be when we have right. this many. Otherwise, the show is like five hours long. And we're probably going to be that way uh, today as well. Uh, we're probably going to jump through these pretty quickly. Uh, the first game I want to talk about, though, is a game that we did talk about last week. Matt had played a ton of it. I had not played much of it at all. I had only played the beta. But now I have, and that game is Destiny 2. I just want to say right off the top, Matt, I am absolutely loving this game. Loving it. Well, it's very good. It's, it's, a, it's a big turnaround from like kind of the, the emptiness of the first game as it launched. Oh, it's, it's night and day. I, uh, as someone who, did not, who played the base game of Destiny, did not play any of the expansions, mm. it probably isn't as big a change for you because you had played the expansions where they were kind of easing their way towards where they are now. I mean, it's very, it is noticeable, just in the sense that, like, the the open, like, the world areas are, like, the common areas are much better designed, and, like, there's always something happening in a, in a with a density that just doesn't exist in the first game. Uh, it, to me, it is, like, a completely different game. And last week I said it sounded like Destiny 2 was the game we thought Destiny 1 was going to be, and now I can say 100% certainty, yes, in fact, this is what I thought I was getting with the first Destiny I think the first thing I want to mention, and I think one thing that kind of turned a lot of people off to Destiny 1, was that it was a little too much like an MMO, and there was a lot of sort of empty moments in the game. That, to me, is the biggest change with this game. There is absolutely no downtime in this game. I got to a point where I wanted to continue the campaign, but I needed to be a certain level before it would let me go to the next planet to continue the campaign. And when I realized that, I was like, oh man, what am I going to do? Because I had just been trudging through mission by mission trying to get it done so I could work on the game eval and talk about it here on Game Face. And so I was nervous. I was like, oh man, if this is like the first game, this is where it starts to suck. Mm. And oh man, nothing could be further from the truth. I was, it was, it's insane how much stuff just pops up out of nowhere. And because... 
and maybe this is a factor of the fact uh, a factor of the of the matter that the game just launched. There are so many people in these yeah, areas. The concurrent players right now is pretty crazy. It's what, amazing. At one point, it, I think it was one point six million playing at the same time. And what it does is it really shows you what the ideas are behind this this game. It shows you how Bungie provided there were a lot of people designed this game for one for there to be a lot of people and successfully designed it if there are a lot of people because there there is just stuff going on all over the place like i remember in the first destiny the public events like i just luckily played through some of those like mm. i never knew when they were going to happen what they were going to be in this game there are flags planted all over the environments and you can just walk up and just trigger it and so I've done that a few times, and it's amazing because because there are beacons that tell all their players that are in that area that there's a public event happening. I hit that flag, and within like 20 seconds, there was like six dudes there ready to do it. I have stumbled upon public events where there are like 10 or 11 people, and as you know, everyone's level 20 but me. That's the other thing I've discovered. Everybody played this all last week. I didn't have time because of the Patreon but that's been very helpful for me because they start these public events and I can just stumble upon them and come in, pop off a couple shots, and get the loot. That's another thing. The loot in this game, it just keeps on coming. Yeah, and they, they reward you very constantly. Constantly. Uh, which, is, which was not a thing in the first game. And it scales. Very, it scales. So it's not like I'm getting equipment that I can't use when I jump into a public event that yeah, well they, higher they, level players are. That did change in the DLC and some of the adjustments for the first game where like you were usually pretty much guaranteed to get something that was one or two points higher than what you already were wearing. Yeah. So that was, that was kind of the thing where it's like there's always this thing about like even if you don't really want to keep the higher level thing, it's better to equip it because that'll kind of push the RNG up for yeah. you to get more stuff later. So that's and, but it doesn't feel quite as, uh, at least so far, it doesn't feel quite as grindy as, as the first game did. I haven't felt any grind yet. And again, I am level 11. I'm still working through the campaign. I haven't finished it yet. I haven't kind of got to the end game content yet, which to me was where the first game kind of started getting that way. Um, but even the side missions that are called adventures in this, like they're crazy. Like they're multi-segmented, um, incredibly different. Each one is different. I don't mm. feel like I've... Repetition was a good way to put the first Destiny. I don't feel any repetition from this game yet. And I'm probably, I don't know, 10, 15 hours, something like that into mm -hmm. it. Um, haven't even touched the Crucible yet. I mean, I played a good bit of that during the beta, so I have a really kind of a pretty good handle on what that's all about. I've just been playing through the, the uh, MMO stuff in the campaign, and I am really impressed. Like, mm -hmm. the side missions, like, one of them was kind of like a capture and hold, where you had to, like, defend this point, and then the point would move. Um, some of them were, were enemies were trying to set up devices to mine or whatever, yeah. and you had to kind of clear out the mining area of enemies. Um, and another thing, too, is jumping in with other people gave me the ability to see a lot of enemies I had never seen before, because I think, I don't know if this is true, but it seems to me that based upon your level, that's, that sort of determines what enemies spawn for a lot of this stuff. Uh, no, they're the same. Are they the, the same? It just depends. It just determines how strong they are. Oh, okay. And there were definitely times where I got into some of these events and, like, my guns did, like, nothing. Like, nothing. Yeah, if you're around a bunch of level 20s, it's... I mean, it's not going to totally... I think it does boost you a little bit so you can do some oh, damage does. a little bit. I, I never felt totally helpless, but there, there were times when I was lower level and, and with, like, some 20s. And it was like, I am not taking this guy down the way normal. Because it does a really good job of sort of transparently scaling everything around you to be fitting to you, but without, like, impacting other players' games. 
So, uh, like, what I, I believe, I don't have any evidence of this, but I believe that, like, when you're shooting at, a, at an enemy and, like, a level 20 shooting enemy, an enemy, I think it's balancing the damage you're both doing for your own viewpoint. Okay. And I, the other thing I love about this game is that it mandatorily makes you use all the weapons. Mm -hmm. And mostly in shooters, like, I find an assault rifle that I really like that I can use with burst fire and be effective with it, and I just kind of stick with it throughout the whole game. I hardly ever use shotguns. I hardly ever use sniper rifles. This game kind of forces you to do that because a lot of times the drops that give you a more powerful weapon is a weapon that, you know, typically I would mm -hmm. not use in a shooter. But because they're so much more powerful than the weapon I was using, I use them. And I've just discovered that I can use any weapon in this game and be effective. And I love that. That is something that's completely different for me mm. from every shooter that I've ever played. Yeah, there is one weapon I don't, I am not effective with and I avoid. Which, which one's that? The sidearm. Yeah, I mean, I Which never use pistols uh, all that much anyway, but... Yeah, well, it's, it's funny, because, like, one of my friends, like, went after she finished the uh, the main quest, she decided to get, like, the two uh, Sturm and Drang guns. Yeah. And that's a hand cannon and a sidearm. Like, the two guns I like the, like the least. And I'm just like, you just went through so much effort to get two things that I hate. It's just <laughs> like, it's... A, and it's, But it's amazing that, like, the game lets, you know, that's there for you if you like those guns. You know, there's, there's is much more than the first game... There's something worth chasing, no matter what kind of gameplay style you have in this, and what, no matter what kind of weaponry and equipment you want. I've also been surprised at how much platforming there is in the game. Yeah, there's. A, I think that's one of the, my my one complaint is that um, I played through, I played through the campaign twice as a as a warlock and as a hunter, and uh, warlock jumping still kind of sucks. Yeah, I think the um, jumping in the game isn't good. Period. Hunt, it's not great. Hunt, the hunter is much easier because the hunter is just a standard double and triple jump. Yeah. Whereas the warlock has sort of a glide thing going on, yeah. and every once in a while, in certain areas, I'd just be like, "Okay, I'll just jump over there." Nope, you're not going to make it. Sorry. It's, you know, and like whereas I'd made it with the hunter easily, right? And it was just a, kind of frustrating there. But they do sort of mitigate that with the fact that if you even come close to the lip of the edge, You'll the character will now pull on. themselves yeah. up, uh, which was not in the in the original game, which is another huge improvement. I mean, look, I'm loving this game. I do have some criticisms, though. The jumping is one of them. I'm not a fan of it. I got a handle on it, and I can do it just fine. It just feels too floaty and not as responsive as I'd like it to be. The other thing I've noticed is that I rarely upgrade. Like, you know, you get, like, a point every time you level up. And right now I have like seven because I go into that tree and there's like nothing there that I want. Yeah, there's nothing. I, I, I mean, I ended up uh, with my warlocks, my main character, and I stuck with uh, the starting class for a while. And then when I unlocked the third class, which is the, the electric stuff, yeah, that was the one I liked in the first game. So I switched to that. I didn't even max out that tree. I just got the stuff I wanted. And I'm still just sitting there with a bunch of extra upgrade points. The upgrades are not as dramatic as the first game maybe a but, lot of them are but they are more useful yeah i mean a lot of them are just like shields and for whatever reason in shooters i hardly ever use shields I well don't that's know, like, that's a because you're a titan yeah like for that's totally different for for a warlock or a, or a hunter you so, kind of need to use them yeah so when you play those other classes well no there's no shields for them right so, so you have to mm -hmm. wait you mean when you upgrade you, you can't even select those what do you mean when you're upgrading, it's not even an option for shields when you're a warlock. No, that's a titan thing. Titans oh, use got shields. You, got you. So hunters are more, you know, movement and stabby and golden gun stuff, and then the warlocks. That are sounds more, like more fun. <laughs> uh, I, I find the, I find the titans to be the least interesting class. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, they are so, kind of the generic soldiers. Yeah, the generic tanks basically. Yeah. So, but the warlock is more about like. You know, I got more projection stuff. I, I can, you know, my, my super is just casting lightning on things. 
Um, you have like the hunter has a cool thing where like he's got a dodge move, and one of the upgrades you can do is um, whenever you, it dodges like circle twice, and one of the things you can modify that with is when you whenever you dodge. You instantly reload your weapon. Oh, cool! Um, which has saved my ass more than once. Some of that so, stuff I kind of like. Like yeah. there's there are some like where if you melee, then you get a shield, right. or there's if a, you melee, your next attack is like twice as powerful. Right. Like that so, kind of stuff I, I like. But. Right. So like with the like with the warlock, I think there's a, you know, the hunter has stuff where like one of the melee effects is you instantly start recharging your health, or the. Uh, or your your grenade like starts to recharge faster, or yeah. whatever, and stuff like this. So so each each it's all the same. I mean, uh, every class has those two little clusters right. on the right side, and each of them is just sort of basically a different tree of of abilities that are all based tend to be based around either your super or your melee, and sort of modifying the effects of each thing or or, or triggering new effects uh, once you do them. And uh, I've found that one or the other tends to be very much more interesting to me. I, I've, I've never found the need to kind of try the other other tree. Right. It's always been like, oh, that's what I want. I go for that, and that's what I stick with. But I mean, they're all very, seem to be very effective. They're all, they're designed for different play styles, and the the one warlock play style really works with me. So I don't have a problem with that. I haven't played the Titans yet. I, it's fun to see the Titans running around with their sword and shield things, yeah, like yeah. Just hacking stuff up. But I haven't done that. Well, yet. the swords are some of the most powerful weapons you can get as a Titan. Yeah, well, I, I I have a sword for my warlock, but I don't use it much because warlocks are still a little squishy. Well, yeah, you don't so. want to get near enemies. You want to stay back. But sometimes, if you can just run in and hack them with a couple hits of the sword, you'll you'll kill them in that amount. Of, if you can survive the run up, you you still you'll kill them in two shots sometimes. So. There's a, there's a game of risk happening there, I guess. And there's a couple other kind of small, more niggling issues. Like, um, and I texted you this the other day. It's like, you kill a boss, and all this loot flies out, and you get that dopamine rush. You're like, loot! And you go running towards it, and then a cutscene triggers before mm. you ever get to collect the loot. And then to get the loot, you have to go back to the farm, and it's like sitting there, and you have to go mm. and, and like collect it there. Uh, to me, that's it's 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 a small thing, but it's just dumb. It's like you want to be able to collect the loot. It mm. feels good to collect the loot. You shouldn't have to go back to home base essentially to think, get the stuff. Yeah, I think they're just trying to keep the momentum up in the in the story, basically. But this game doesn't need it, man. That's the thing about it. That it has it is just momentous. I mean, the other thing I love about it is how littered the environments are with enemies they come from everywhere there are times where you're completely swarmed with enemies there is just no downtime in this game at all which to me is like night and day from the first game to this Mm -hmm. one um i think bungie is done if look if bungie decided it was going to stick with kind of that mmo template i believe bungie has done a masterful job of staying with that template staying within that template and still making it feel like a straight up action game um, I am not an MMO person by any stretch. Never have been, probably never will be. But for me, someone who's not been a fan of MMORPGs his entire life, um, Bungie, to me, has hit the sweet spot with this game. Uh, yeah, well that, see, that's kind of the, I wouldn't call this an MMO, really. It's, yeah, it's just but why? Because it's, Cause it's, because it's, it's not like that? No, because it's mingle player, and it has nothing to do with being massively multiplayer. Really. And even the, like, the most you're going to ever play with somebody else in terms of like kind of more MMO-style... Uh, like content, like raids, is six people. Like that's yeah. that's, it's it's 
Like I prefer this take on it. I guess it takes the massively out. Yeah, of there's no massively. It's just it's just a, a multiplayer online game. Yeah, basically. which I mean, this is the, as close to it as I'm gonna get. I mean, I played several. I mean, I played like Swoto. I mean, but the, I could also argue that, like you know, Star Wars: The Old Republic is basically this now. Yeah, because you don't need any other people to get through it. It's right, not. It's right. not. You know, MMOs have changed to be basically single player games where you see a lot of other people. Yeah, like passing by. And, right. And uh, but I feel like I interact a ton with other people in this game though. Like, just constantly. I don't. People jump in. Like, if I'm getting my butt handed to me in a battle, next thing I know, some dude just swoops mm-hmm. in and, like, takes every takes everybody out. See, and, like, See, I don't really consider that, like, multiplayer, like, interaction in the way that, like, the old MMOs used to be. Like, it's just, it's... Well, the, the social part of it is... I mean, it's no more... Minimal. Yeah, but, I mean, what I'm saying is no more MMO than Diablo 3 is. Yeah. You know, it's... it's or, or Marvel Heroes. You know, it's it's... Here, I mean, by yes, the way, everybody gathers in one area and runs around. And you see everybody's name and their and their outfits and stuff. But like, there's not really, you know, actually, Marvel Heroes is is, is a pretty good comparison, really, which is made by the Diablo two guys. Yeah. Here, by the way, is uh, someone who's quickly turning into my online gaming partner from Sifted. Once again, Killzone three ten, and I spent a good three or four hours last night playing. And uh, he's level twenty, so he saved my ass many a time. I think he revived me probably like twenty mm-hmm. times. Um, but I, to me, I like the social part of this game. Um, no, I think it works. It, it, I agree. It's not like you're gonna go behind a building and like hook up with some. Ca- it, that part of it is not. But as far as just kind of sticking with the action, and here he's revived me again. But uh, as far as trying to find that middle ground between action game and sort of those MMO elements, I feel like it's done a perfect job. And I think there are a lot of people out there like me who've never really resonated with MMOs. Um, who maybe like the idea of some of the elements, and I think this is the perfect game for that. Um, If you've ever kind of wanted to experiment with that environment or that design in a game, but you know you're not going to be into the go kill eight rabbits and come back here type of thing, I haven't discovered any type of uh, missions like that so far either. There are, um, but they're like the patrols and and kind of the, the, the daily sort of... The daily grind stuff. They're not, they, they, I don't think there were many of those in the. There's a couple things in the story, where, or maybe a couple adventure missions, where it's like get five data cores from Fallen. But it's not. It's like it's everything is. I recall is usually stuff like uh, just kill Fallen. It's not like the first game where it's like kill five great servitors of the. You know where you had to find like the one place the guy spawned right. every ten minutes yeah. or whatever. Whereas like there's a little bit of that though. Somewhat, but on this is like uh, it's much more you know much more likely that it's just a general enemy type and not a specific enemy kind, and Luke. also stuff <laughs> just fall you know, stuff drops immediately. Yeah, like you don't have to like go through the random number generator yeah. forever. I've been having a blast with it, man. It's one of those games that sticks with me after I stop playing it. I think about it. I'm thinking about it right now. I was thinking about it driving over here. I uh, can't wait to get the show up today so I can dive in and play some more. Um, it's pretty much everything I thought the first Destiny was going to be. And it also feels a lot more like Halo than the last two Halos. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just nonstop action. It's like there are enemies everywhere. Like, there, I mean, I guess maybe over time that might get annoying. That <laughs> There's just no kind of peaks and valleys to the game. It's just always amped up to 10 and just stays there. Um, but at, coming off of the first game... I'm all for it. I'm totally fine with that. That's what I've wanted from this franchise so far. So uh, I'm loving it, people. I'm really enjoying Destiny 2. If you're a first-person shooter fan, I think you're going to like it. Even if you've never enjoyed MMOs before, I think this is kind of the dipping the toe into the pool type game. 
that can kind of ingratiate you to the genre. I don't know if you're going to suddenly go subscribe to World of Warcraft after you finish the game, <laughs> uh, but I think it's just enough of a taste to put a different kind of a spin on a shooter. And again, I know a lot of people were like me, played the first Destiny, were disappointed. I think this rectifies a lot of the issues uh, with the first game. So I highly recommend Destiny 2. Um, and in my opinion, right now, and again, I have not finished the game and haven't done any of the endgame content, but right now, to me, it is indefinitely in the running for me personally as game of the year. So I'm having fun. I'm having a ton of fun with it. So seems to be pretty unanimous. I mean, the reviews are pretty high. Mm. Not sky high, but pretty Sa high. Sales are down. Sales are... Physically. Well, I've heard but... conflicting stories about that. So in the UK, they said it sold half of what the mm. first one did. But then today, Activision put out that it's selling better than the first one. I think it's digital. And people were discounting digital as like, you know, oh, down half. That's not, you're not going to make that up digital. There's just not enough people play it. I think, some, I think at some point people maybe figured out that like there's no reason to have a physical copy of this game. Yeah. Like it's an online MMO uh, in terms of how you have to connect and how it works. Yeah. So why, you know, I got it digitally because, like, I got the first one physically, but I got this one digitally because it's like, why do I want to put a disc in every time I want to play this game? Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. You can't do anything with it otherwise. You're right. It is very much like a PC game in that way. Yeah. It's just kind of one of those things that just lives on your machine. So I think people are underestimating how many digital sales this thing had. I mean, we already know digital's making up about 40% of sales anyway mm -hmm. right now. So, but at the same time, it hasn't been that long ago that the first one released. So yeah, it was a while ago. it's not like it's complete apples and oranges trying to compare the first one to the second one. So it was what, three years ago? Was it three? Was it 2014 or 2015? It was one of the first game evals we ever did. I'm pretty sure it was 2014. It was like we when we were doing like our video evals as examples for people to well, check out. Well, that would have been 2014. Then, that yeah. was one of the first ones that we did. Because it was September. So it was September 2014, and then they did uh, the Taken King, and then they did Iron, the Iron Band, oh, not the Iron, Iron something. <laughs> that last DLC didn't Iron really Banner? stick with me. No, Iron Banner is the regular like multiplayer competition thing, the event they do. Iron... Again, we're going back to what we talked about last week, the verbiage in this yeah, game. Yeah, Iron Throne. Well, that's the, I mean, I can remember characters' names now in yeah, this one. Yeah, yeah. Like, I actually remember who these people are. Yeah, like, it helps. It, uh, they actually have personalities and think things about each other and have conversation. I mean, the first game had nothing like that. Yeah, you're like, right. Like, it didn't even occur to me that I was supposed to even care who Cade 6 was or anybody. Well, a perfect example of that. Think about how much ire there was directed towards Peter Dinklage. Because, right. And the reason why is because that was the only, the only person, you, person you could interact with. So there was a huge emphasis. Nobody's talking about the ghost voice in this one or mm -hmm. what he does or doesn't say because he's just a little bit partner now. Well, they also pulled back on the way that a wizard came from the moon kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, don't, <laughs> just play it straight, boys. Yeah, yeah. Like, and um, it's also interesting to know that I think the ghost in this uh, game is a very different character than yeah. he was in the first game. Clearly, they're writing him differently now that they know they have Nolan North yeah. doing this. And uh, it works a lot better in this one. There's a, lot, there's a little more personality in everybody, including the ghost in yeah. this one. I mean, that's a good way to describe the game in general. Mm -hmm. It just has a lot more personality. And I would agree, it's much more like Halo than the first game. Mm -hmm. um, one, th one, one thing that did carry over from the first game that I'm a little bit annoyed with in the second is repetitive enemies. It's mm -hmm. like you fight the same guys over and over and over yeah, and well, over again. Well, that's MMO. It is. And that is that is an element of MMOs that I'm not happy that has made it over to this game. Well, I don't see what else you can really do. I mean, you an, yeah, they did add another faction. They had the Taken. I think the, pro the root of the problem is that not just this game, a lot of games feel like they have to have races. 
And I get it. it. It makes the universe and the world feel more believable to say, oh, we have this race and this race and this race and this race. But what ends up happening is that you end up with just fighting the same five enemy types mm. the entire time. Um, and you're right, I that think, is an MMO trope. I also think speak. there's enough variety in each of the factions in this that it, it works. And like, and each one can be kind of compared. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, what is it? The, the Fallen is the Covenant. And the hive is the flood. No, they really and, are. And there's uh, a, there are needlers in this game. Yeah, like, and the and the, <laughs> the Vex are the uh, the Prometheans. Yeah, and the uh, the Cabal is Warhammer 40k. No, you're so, right. No, so like, you're yeah. absolutely right. Um, and again, I get why they do it. It's just I do get tired of kind of fighting this. And I think I it wouldn't be such a beat. It's not the visual representation that bothers me. It's the techniques that are required to fight them. Mm. It's like once you fought every one of them a handful of times, you kind of know how to defeat them. Like some of them, you just shoot them in the head and keep shooting in the head. Some of them, you bust their shell off and then you pop them in the chest. They have that little orb in their chest. Um, but the other part of it that I do like is because there are these factions, they all are fighting each other. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you come upon skirmishes and it's not just go in and kill everything. You, you kind of take stock in what's going on. You're like, okay, well, this side has more. So do I help them to wipe out the other side, or do I start taking out enemies on the side that has more and help the guys that are weaker? There's that whole kind of living war dynamic going on inside the game that kind of makes you examine each skirmish in a different way. So I just kill whoever's got their back to me. <laughs> but I don't. Like I wait till they spin around because it seems like you waste a lot of ammo if you're just shooting them in the back versus mm -hmm. shooting them in the front where it takes more damage off. Headshots, obviously. Yeah, headshots huge are part tough of the from game. behind. Said, yeah, and actually, I think that's an interesting element of uh, like the uh, the um, enemy design, especially the fallen. They hunch them over. Yeah, specifically because to make them hard to headshot from behind. Yep. But then when you hit them in the head, they stagger. Right. And then they raise up, and then it's easier to finish them off with that last shot. That's actually better as well. On the the big guys with the yellow health bars, the like, kind of the mini bosses of the bosses. Like I've noticed, yeah. like. If you hit them in the head enough, they will actually stagger and miss their shots. Whereas in the first game, they were just huge damage Hulking sponges. Machines, they, they couldn't, yeah. You couldn't affect them until they, yeah. fell, until they fell over, basically. And I think the difficulty balance is great. Like, mm -hmm. it's just the perfect amount of struggle uh, yeah. versus success. And if you, if you get careless, you can get taken out by surprisingly oh, yeah. minor things. I saw a level 20 guy in the first area get killed by, a, like, one of the fallen dregs. Yeah. Like, he just wasn't paying attention, and they just... Popped him. Sometimes you get swarmed. Yep. That, I love that, too. I love that you never know where the enemies are coming from. It's not a cattle shoot where you're just running down this linear path and you know which direction the enemies are always coming from. And if somebody flanks you, you're like, oh, my God, I got flanked. Like, in this game, you're constantly getting flanked. Um, and I think the, the little meter that you have that shows you the direction that enemies are coming from, that helps a ton, mm. too. Just a lot of thought. TLC... This game's incredibly polished. When you think about how much content is here, um, it's just great. It's really hard. Like, I've really had to nitpick to find issues with this this game. I'm really enjoying it. So I highly recommend it. I think if anyone at least likes shooters a little bit, they're not going to regret buying this game. Mm. That would be my opinion, yeah, I think. I certainly mean, especially if I think if you didn't like the first one but wanted to, I think this one will do it. That's a good way to put it. If you wanted to like the first and didn't, mm. you're probably going to love Destiny 2. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Yesterday, Nintendo had a direct, or actually it was the day before. Um, Matt, I would say it was one of the best Nintendo directs Nintendo has ever had. Um, 
Sure. <laughs> Can I you think even, of others that stand out as not, being? Not really, but I don't really even have a metric for that. I mean, is, there wasn't a whole lot in this that I found exciting. Really? Um, not really. Um, not even from the perspective of someone who just has a Switch and maybe is a hardcore Nintendo fan? Maybe, but I don't know who that person is. So <laughs> I, I can't put They're my, out there. I can't put myself in that scenario because I can't imagine it. There's, there, well, I myself. think there's still 10 million. Oh, I'm sure. Those, I'm sure yeah. there's a lot in of them. In the U.S. Like, alone. It's just like, I don't, okay. Like, I guess it, it must have been very exciting if, you've only, if you only own a Switch and have not played another video game for the last 10 years. Yeah. Because you're getting Doom. Doom. Actually, let's go through okay. this. So, the first thing we want to talk I mean, about... Me, Mario still looks great. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> until you show me his nipples. But... <laughs> That's the, the, the biggest thing I got out of this Direct is that Super Mario Odyssey is freaking awesome. It is going to be an absolutely incredible, huge, life-consuming, all-encompassing... Mario Extravaganza. Yeah, it's becoming very clear this is a big, big game. Oh. This is like, they, they are not, like, just shoving something out to keep us quiet. There are essentially 600 stars in this game. Moons. Right. They're moons But uh, most people equate the moons to stars. I mean... That's just bad astronomy. Or, I mean, they change <laughs> it all the time. There's, there's been shines and all this the other stars crap. Stars and shines and moons. But essentially, people know he's, what I'm saying. He's, he's two shapes away from a Lucky Charms bowl at this point. <laughs> But uh, there are 600 of them. Yep. That is crazy, man. And look, a whole it looks... bunch of those that I'm not going to be good enough for the game to get. Yeah, sure. probably. And that's fine. Like, like those, I love those, that. What was it? Lu was it Luigi in Galaxy? What was the, the, the Luigi coin challenge? Was it green coins? Oh, the coins? green coins. Yeah. yeah. That was, yeah, it was, there be was, that was beyond ones. me. That was not... I got all of them in both Galaxy games. Um, Super Mario 3D World, I don't even think I got... 80% of them. Mm -hmm. That game just did not resonate with and it, me. I mean, this does tie in. I mean, the thing about Mario games, especially recently, like, say the last five, six, seven years, there's always that thing where it's like... And Here's this new Snow World, by the way. And maybe they some people don't, like, rec don't realize, but like, when you... Like, finishing the Mario game is like just step one. It like, is, these yeah. games, they, they Nintendo always makes these games huge with tons of things to do beyond the main story. Well, they also got the whistle from Nintendo where they dropped the little, and if you collect all 600, something special happens. Mm -hmm. And that's all they needed to hear. Right. <laughs> that was like Nintendo saying, oh yeah, we've got what you want. And it may be even something just as stupid as like, now Yoshi's on top of the castle. Yeah. Like, it's Super Mario 64. One of those most disappointing rewards I think I've ever had in a video game for busting my butt at playing one. But holy cow, they showed a photo mode you alluded earlier. They showed Mario without a shirt. And Mario, it turns out, is smooth as a porpoise. Yeah, like, did. no one knew. <laughs> but The photo mode in this is crazy, though, man. It's not like... You just get, it's not like the screenshot feature on mm -hmm. any of the current consoles. It's, you know, also Switch has it. It's, you can take a snapshot, you can move the camera, you can adjust, oh, yeah. you can this put like, filters. It's like Instagram. Yeah, for, well, it's, it's like, like Super Mario Instagram. Well, it's like uh, uh, No Man's Sky. Yeah, I guess it no is. No Man's Sky yeah. has that. Horizon Zero Dawn has some has the similar thing where you can get put her in poses and do all these filters and stuff. I mean, it's becoming a thing. As these games become so pretty, you want to capture them for like to share with people. Like, you know, clearly they're starting... You know, really, Breath of the Wild had a similar thing with, like, the selfie kind of thing and all yeah. that stuff. Um, you know, people, game, game developers are starting to realize, like, you know, this is part of what you want to be able to share with people is these things you see. 
in your game and then kind of these moments you capture and that's you know, I, maybe you wouldn't think of that for a Mario game because it's not you know generally considered kind of the you know the, the, the landscape you know kind of like a beauty of the of the of the world but like maybe they're maybe they're taking a page out of out of this from uh, you know how um, how popular uh, Luigi was in Mario Kart with the the, the with death the stare, stare. Yeah. like just give just give players an easier way to kind of get into that and share things they find and share things they see and I think that's a good thing. And it's just this eight minute presentation to me it just completely amped up my anticipation for this game. Like they the gameplay variety to me this game has not been particularly pretty in some of the stuff that they've shown before. That was all blown away by this this demo mm-hmm. that they showed. Um, like they just showed that like slot car racing, like cart racing thing with like le- online leaderboards for it. Um, the photo mode, six hundred. St- it's just it goes on and on. This this game would have to have a tragic misstep to not end up taking at least for me mm-hmm. game of the year. I'm a much bigger Mario guy than a Zelda guy, which helps. So, um, but it's I mean it's going to be a battle probably at most publications between Zelda and Mario for game of the year. I would think so. I mean. Uh... We'll see. I mean, for me, Horizon's still on top. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see what this turns out to be. Uh, you know, I'm not a Mario person really much at all. Here's a photo mode they're showing off right now. You can pause it and then move the camera and then take a still and then put filters mm-hmm. over it. You can rotate the images. You can. Yeah, this is pretty standard now, I think, for can you... kind of in-game photo, in-game photo Well, stuff. they allow you to create wallpapers for your cell phone as well. That's fun. It's like, I'm sure it'll be good. Right there. That's like for your cell phone They should let whatever. you create wallpaper for the Switch. No, you're absolutely right. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if they do. And uh, here, here we get to see uh, mm-hmm. shirtless Mario here in a second, <laughs> which uh, has set the internet ablaze. There it Woo! is. <laughs> Like it almost doesn't look. It's just like he's in, he's running around in his underwear. Like that doesn't even like polka dots. You're not a big swimsuit yeah, he, motif. He looks like he's like ten years old. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, now and of course you have the the whole thing now where people are asking like, is Mario human? Because did he have a belly button? Can we go back and see if he had a belly button? Because he's standing next to uh, you know the humans like poly people in New York City and they don't look like him. So well, they're, yeah, they're also uh, is. Shorts are pulled up too far. Yeah, can't tell. I mean, the belly trying, button he's, is he's the giveaway, right? He's trying to cover right? the gut, basically. <laughs> yeah. so we all, we all, we've all been there. We know, we know what it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, why is it that he's like a foot tall, and all the other humans in the game are like six feet tall? I don't know, because he's, he's a cartoon. <laughs> yeah. It's like a Roger Rabbit thing, I guess. It, I think it's funny. This whole game is kind of like this attempt at Nintendo to kind of humanize Mario. Mm. And uh, and by doing it, you're just sort of making him seem inhuman. Less human, yeah, without a doubt. But man, I am so pumped for this game. Look, there's like that looks cool, old yeah. OG Donkey Kong. Like it is just huzzah! My head is exploding over this game right now. And the best part is, it's only about six weeks away. Yeah, just hope your Switch works. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, they uh, yeah, I have to send in that right Joy-Con by the way, and they're going to replace it. Mm. So. It's still under warranty, I'm guessing. They didn't say I'm going to have to pay anything. But, yeah, hopefully I get it back in time for this. Uh, they're also putting out a bundle for Switch mm-hmm. uh, with, with deep new red Joy-Cons. Joy-Cons. Yeah. And they're both the same color. Thank Ooh. God. I, I think that's a big I, deal. I, I, see, I thought they'd be, uh, like, one red, one blue. Right. Like, like, Or maybe, like, they're both red, but they have, like, overall straps on them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. We also announced a Pokeball 2DS XL and... And a controller for Xenoblade, yeah. of all things, which a, looks awful. A pro but, controller, yeah. yeah. But uh, at least that confirms their, their, you know, 
Xenoblade has always kind of been a play it on a regular controller game, going yeah. back to the first game on on the Wii. So yep. it's uh, it's I guess they're continuing that tradition. I I, I approve of that. Yeah. But I probably won't buy that controller because I think it looks awful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk next about what probably was the biggest announcement for a number of reasons um, in the Direct, and mm. that is that Doom, and that didn't surprise me so much. What really surprised me is that also Wolfenstein 2 mm-hmm. is coming to the Switch. How shocked were you over this? Not tremendously. Really? I After mean, all these third parties that turned the Switch down and said, we can't put our games well, on Switch. Well, I've been pretty much... Uh, under the impression that Bethesda is under contract to Nintendo for the Skyrim thing, and for me this confirms that, that basically Nintendo is paying them to put their games on the Switch, which is exactly what they should be doing. I mean, that's what Microsoft should be doing, too. I mean, this is how you get content. Um, Because there's no way they're going ahead with these games before they see how Skyrim sells if they're doing it independently. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And I'm not saying that to, like, denigrate the announcement or denigrate the fact that these games are on the Switch. I'm just saying, like, this is a deal. This is this is this is Nintendo trying to make sure there's support on the on the on their system in a way that like Microsoft hasn't for a long. This is what we've been talking about with the Xbox. We're like, and, micro, and Nintendo is picking that ball up and running with it with a company I never thought they would. So no. I think that's a very positive. A company thing. that has really really not supported Nintendo no, at all, not at all, over like, the last we're... like ever. Yeah, so I'm very curious how this all came about, but I'm not going to argue with the results. Well, I think it's it's easy for a Nintendo fan to say that, oh, this is just Bethesda seeing the Switch explode. And no, that's not how business no, works. No, and that's definitely like, not how this deal worked, no. without a doubt. But who cares? Yeah, like, but like, Ultimately, who, who gives a crap? Like, I don't know about Wolfenstein, but I mean, Doom is a very very scalable engine. I'm sure it, you know, it looks fine. Looks good. Bit... Well, this is not, by the way, most of this footage we're watching is not from no. the Switch version. I, just I, the very first footage okay. we watched. Well, I did see some, some footage of it. The first footage we showed was from Switch. And it was it looked good. Yeah, it looks good. You can definitely tell that uh, well, yeah. there's like, been some... I mean, to me, this again, this is like you know a shocking announcement, amazing, but again, to me, this is not an exciting part of the Direct because you I already, already own Doom, and I'm sure as hell not buying Wolfenstein on, on the Switch because no. I, I have three other platforms that will run it better. So, uh, cool. Like, if you only have a Switch or you desperately want to play Doom on the train. But to me, this is not any... This doesn't move the needle for me personally at all. The other concern It's just a good me, sign that Nintendo is putting effort into getting Western companies to really support the thing beyond just Ubisoft. The other concern for me with Doom in particular is that Doom... The fun of Doom, this one in particular, is so dependent on the frame rate. Mm. I mean, what really made that game kind of go off is how quick it was. It was just nailed at 60 yeah. frames per second... Um, if there are performance issues on the Switch version, that could really kind of cut into the enjoyment of it. I feel, at the very least, in handheld mode, I feel like you're not going to get a ton of performance problems. It's only 720p. 720p, and yeah. they're going to scale it for the, you know, the engine can scale well. I think, that, you know, they know that 60 frames per second is the, is the target more than pretty on this yeah. one. So, like, I think, I think it'll be fine. Um, How about the, this, this, this content going onto a Nintendo platform? Doom... Probably the goriest game of this generation. Most violent, most demonic easily. Um, then you have Wolfenstein with the Nazi stuff. Like It's not like Doom hasn't been on Nintendo before. Yeah, but this game is different. I mean, those Dooms that were on like the N64 and whatnot, those were like almost cartoony. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I don't think that's a consideration anymore. Really? No. You don't I, see a lot of games like this on Nintendo platforms still to this day. It's rated M deal with it like, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's popular it's part of Bethesda's I mean it's not like Skyrim is a walk in the park either I mean they're all M rated games is Skyrim M rated M? pretty sure 
I thought it was teen. But to me, this is pushing the envelope. Nintendo still does not generally have games like this on its platform. And to me, it's another sign that Nintendo is finally starting to wake the hell up mm. and figure out how the industry works today. Although, we'll talk about some stuff later on the show that yeah. still doesn't. I mean, I, just, I don't know. I mean, like, I guess, like, I can't think of a whole lot on, on the Wii U, but it's like, you know, there's stuff like Mad World and stuff. You know, there, there's, there's some pretty ultra-violent things on Nintendo They've platforms. always been, like, token games, though. Nintendo has never stuck with it. It's like, you're right, Mad World. Crazy, over-the-top, mm. monochromatic I mean, even more. no man's no 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 man's heroes. No he- no more heroes. <laughs> right. They're uh, like the token know. games that they have. Yeah, but they're very bloody and Killer Seven and going yeah. back to that. I mean, the Wii U was sort of. I can't think of anything super gory for the Wii U, no. but I can't think of a lot of things. You can't for think the of Wii U. any games yeah. for the Wii U. <laughs> Third party games, anyway. Um, I th- I think this is a big deal, I, especially if you're someone who is a big Nintendo fan and maybe only own a Switch and a Wii mm-hmm. U or whatever. Uh, it's good to see that those people are at least going to get to play some of the big third-party games. Uh, it still looks like most are not coming. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Bethesda's doing some special work to make this work on Switch, and a lot of third parties may not be willing to do that unless they're financially incentivized by Nintendo to do it, like you say. So I think it's big news. I think that's the biggest news from from this this uh, this presentation for a number of different reasons. Uh, then Kirby, Matt. <laughs> They sure love their Kirby. How many Kirby games can you make? As many as possible. Dude, apparently. there's like five on the way. I'm not even exaggerating. There are like five Kirby games. Do these sell that well? Or they, they I don't think that they do. Like... I don't get it. I mean, I know it, what it's the 25th anniversary or something of Kirby right yeah. now. And so Nintendo tends to kind of celebrate that stuff. Unless you're Metroid. Well, they finally named... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. They finally named the Switch version of the game... Um, it's called like Kirby Starfields or something like that. Right. I think they should have gone with your name. Too much Kirby. <laughs> TMK. Yeah, it is just too much Kirby. There, they also announced a 3DS game, Kirby Battle Royale, and there's already another 3DS game. It's like a arena battling like Kirby game cooperative. There's already another Kirby game for the 3DS. That's coming. That does the same exact thing. I just and we just got another one this year. Right? Yeah. The Robo, the robot one. Yep. Which is pretty good. Yeah. But like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why Kirby's suddenly like just ubiquitous everywhere. It's uh... he to me is one of the most uninteresting video game characters on Nintendo's roster. Yeah, I like him, but like I, I don't think I played. What was the last Kirby game I played? I guess I, I played the Robo robot one at like E3. Yeah. And I didn't. I never got that for myself. And then I don't know. I like my favorite Kirby game is probably still the first one. <laughs> I like the music in the Kirby games a lot. I don't like playing them so much. I think the last one I may have played all the way through was like Kirby sixty four, the Crystal Shards. Kirby sixty four. I specifically remember not buying it because was so it cost it cost too much. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not going to pay full price. I'm going to wait till it drops, and it never dropped, and then it disappeared, and then I couldn't get it anymore. So I never played Kirby sixty four. Well, I think that the reason it was the last game I played is because I did not find it to be particularly mm. good. It was one of those N64 games that absolutely backed up the stereotype of... Right. Well, of, Kirby's kind of been that for a while. Like, you know, like Kirby's Air Ride. It's like, yeah. you're really going to sell this to me as like a quarterly release worth my time? No, it's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah, I'm surprised that Nintendo's pushed towards Kirby again. It must be real easy and cheap to make or something. Yeah. Like, or Hal just doesn't have, have anything else to do. I don't know. I mean, that is kind of their bread and butter is Kirby stuff. So maybe, yeah. maybe they're just like, churn out as many Kirby games as you can or we won't keep you anymore. I don't know. Yep. 
Another big surprise, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, coming this year. They yeah. gave it an actual release date. So they claim. Of December 1st. Yeah, I mean, I put the order in for the for the collector's thing, and they say it says December 1st on the order. Do we think we both have to admit at this point that it is coming out this year? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Anything can happen. Yeah. Like I said, if we get to October and they're still sticking with December 1st, I believe it. Yeah. Once they hit the quarter, the same, you know, once you get into the quarter, I don't think you can really move it without some repercussions. What did you think of the demo they showed? They showed a good bit of this. They showed 10 minutes or so of the game. I mean, I'm interested. I, I hate all the character designs. Yeah. I think they look terrible, like just the worst bottom of the barrel anime bullshit you could imagine. I hate the whole, like, the sword is also a hot chick thing in a yeah. thong. Like, it's all just, like, kind of gross. Yeah. But, like... <laughs> it really is. The world looks amazing. You know, just like... Zen the Xenoblade games are about the world and exploring yeah. the world and these crazy open fantasy places and, like, all the, you know, the environments and the, the biosphere, kind of, that you see. And, like, this looks like it's going to deliver on that, you know, as well. I mean, I, I overlooked a lot of weird anime crap in Xenoblade Chronicles X, uh, for the sake of how cool that world was to run around in. Um, and I will probably do the same here. Uh, I do think it's sad that you've kind of... Like, there was a more kind of straight-up... Like, those guys kind of look like they could be in Xenoblade 1. Um, I love Xenoblade 1 a lot, and I just feel like they keep moving away from sort of this, like, sort of standard, like, Western sensibility that one had with a little bit of... You know, anime mixed in, whereas these are just like, no one's wearing proper pants in your main party in this game. It's just like, what is going on? Like, how come? Why is the boy wearing stirrup like cloud pant thing? I don't know. I don't know what's going. Hammer on. pants. Yeah, they're like hammer pants that somebody like cut holes in. Yeah. And then he just put. I agree with you a thousand percent. The character like, designs in this game are just. But they've always been that way in the series. To me, I've never really resonated the first, with them. The first game doesn't look like that. At yeah. All. I mean. They look, the first game, they look more like Vagrant Story, or like one of those old kind of Final Fantasy Tactics, like PlayStation 1 era, you know, they look like Final Fantasy 12, maybe. My, I mean, Vaughn needs a shirt, but like, <laughs> um, they don't look quite as like, you know, the characters in this game to me look like they should be on like some kind of harem sitcom, like, you know, by Rumika Takahashi or something, like bastardized into some kind of modern like moe thing yeah this i'm not a fan of the art it just doesn't look good i mean and also i don't i don't think that for the most part i don't think the characters match the backgrounds no they, like, don't, they, really don't, look, they don't really the fit world. the world no i agree with that um but i'm I, still gonna play i mean yeah, I, yeah I'm not. <laughs> I think what we're all getting at here is that you know ultimately it's the gameplay and the story that kind of win the day for this franchise um and by all accounts it looks as if the depth is going to be there the story is going to be there Hopefully the writing's going to yeah. be there. That's been kind of the gameplay impressions spot. from PAX were very positive. Yeah, uh, everyone who got their hands on it seemed to like it. Even the people that didn't like the the look of some of the, of the characters. And look, while I don't like the art style, I would say that the presentation is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, they've gone kind of above and beyond what they've done with prior games. There's a lot of facial animation in the game. Um, technically, it certainly looks a lot better than the last Xenoblade. Um, so. I don't know. I guess I'm, st I'm still lukewarm on it. I mean, I'm... I'm I kind of dread the commitment that I know it's going to take. Right. I'm hopeful, <laughs> but, like, it's just... I don't... I'm I th I'm sad with the aesthetic direction yeah. of the characters, and, and I kind of feel like they're just going to continue in that realm. I am interested in, like, kind of the development schedule and plan on it, because, like, 
it feels like they got this done real fast. It does. Uh, unless Monolith might be a bigger Monolith Soft might be bigger than I think they are. Didn't Nintendo dump some more money into Monolith? Maybe a couple years ago. That may be. Yeah, I don't. Why? I don't know, but like the fact that they got this out so soon on the heels of of X is pretty impressive. And also looking at like I again like the presentation, like the animation and the cutscenes and things yeah, like that. She just looks like she's straight out of Hyperdimension Neptunia and yeah. I'm not <laughs> down with that shit. A lot of people will be though. <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh let's talk next about a game that you and I have both been uh hoping would come to the West and it still hasn't. Fantasy Star Online 2. Mm. Announced for Switch. Cloud. Cloud. The special version of it. That's the free-to-play version, I think. Yeah. I mean, I thought Fantasy Star Online 2 was free-to-play in general now in Japan. Sort of. I don't know. Cloud is different. Cloud is a different thing. Uh, I'm not clear on that. I actually Googled it before we went on to, to, to find out, and all I could find were articles on the fact that it was coming to the Switch. Yeah. So, in English, there's not been a lot of discussion about this game until now. No. Uh, my girlfriend does play... Final Fantasy Online, Star Online 2, not the cloud version. I think it's the PC version. But she plays that uh, constantly. She's played for years. Um, she seems to really like it. Uh, it looks really cool. But I, I really I, like it. I, I have no patience. Star Online. <laughs> I have no patience for uh, for like Japanese menus, basically. I, I and so I, but I guess there's ways to play it in English or whatever. But I just haven't done it. I think the one thing I wanted to bring up before we moved on from this game is: Do you think because they're releasing it for Switch that it increases its chances of coming to the West? Um, or do you think it just has no effect whatsoever? Well, I mean, it is coming to the West, right? No, they haven't announced that yet. No. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. Well, they'd be stupid. They didn't even show Fantasy Star Online 2 in the Western version of the Direct. Mm. It was only in the Japanese version. The Japanese version of the Direct is completely different from the Western version, by the way. They showed mm. a ton of games that were not in the one that we all watched. Well, who knows? Yeah. I tend to think it doesn't really change anything. Maybe not. I mean, the the Western site for Fantasy Star Online 2 is still up. Yeah. It hasn't been updated since since 2014, but it's still there. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I mean, I probably wouldn't play it. Really? really? You like, wouldn't play it? It's been a little. It's been a long time, and I don't know if I have room for another free-to-play anime game. I would I absolutely play Fantasy Star Online. Too. I might try it. Like if they bring it, if they bring it to the Switch over here, I will probably try it. But like, I wouldn't expect to, you know, play it forever. I My mean, I, play, is... I play Fantasy Star Online one for five hundred hours I, or yeah, six hundred hours I or something. It so much. Like, and I'm still a little sick of it. Like even all these years later. My my hope is that because Nintendo has this fledgling console that it just released and it needs software for it, that it will pull a Bethesda and financially incentivize Sega to bring it to the West. Yeah. I That's just, kind of the angle I was going at with, do you think this changes whether it may come to the West? I don't think it does. But I don't think it does either, honestly. I... It would be cheap. It'd be even cheaper to just bring the PC version here, and they haven't done that. Right. So that doesn't require you to manufacture anything. But, I mean, Nintendo does kind of need an MMOE type thing. For I mean, I guess Nintendo could throw some money at them to make them do it. But Dra- like, Dragon I, Quest X. Sort is... of, but I, yeah, I feel like they're going to throw. You, know, you put more money towards the Dragon Quest thing and the Monster Hunter thing if you really want to do that. Yeah. Otherwise. I don't think right. Fantasy Star Online is going to win you any converts in America. It'll win me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just one person, unfortunately. Uh, and the last thing we want to bring up from the Direct is Nintendo Arcade Archives. Which I'm not a thousand percent sure what the deal is with this. It's like, I mean, obviously they're bringing back its old, it's bringing back its old arcade games for mm. the Switch, and the first one that's going to be released is Mario Brothers. But is this like something that you 
buy and then you get a drip of games constantly or are they just like putting games up on the eShop? I think this is games on the eShop. Just game by game. I think it's just a series. So essentially it's just an initiative. Right. I think it's like uh, it's like the virtual console but now there's an arcade segment segment too. Gotcha. But they don't want to call it virtual console because they're not still not talking about right, it. Right, right. They can't do that. Well, also, those games never came out on console. Right. I mean, the one thing I do like is that the Punch-Out is coming to this, and it's not any of the console versions of Punch-Out. Right, it's, it's the, the legit one. arcade version where you have the green wireframe guy that mm-hmm. you can see through. They are uh, they are missing the one I would buy, though. What, what's that? Popeye. Yeah. Which I'm sure is a licensing, licensing issue, issue, without a doubt. Um, big deal or not a big deal? Um, it's a big deal in the sense that there's a bunch of these games have been kind of lost to time and like this is a way that they can preserve them and there we go I think that's that's uh, my jam right there arcade punch out you play the one with the was it did it have the the like the little handle things you punched with did you no I never played that no no there was one I maybe I might be mixing it up with a different there boxing was a boxing game? game that had that though, and I, I played that too. I can't remember what it was called. But I, rem- I think it. I think there was something like that on the Punch Out one in Ma- Malibu Castle Golfing Games in Redwood City, California. Because <laughs> I used to. I remember I used to see it. And I never played it because I was for some reason I didn't think I could control it properly, oh. which didn't make wouldn't make sense if it was a normal control. I remember scheme, that game. I might be. I might be mixing it up with something else. I also used to play a ton of Ring King. Do you remember that boxing game? I remember Ring King. Yeah. And then. Later on in my life, I used to play it in the arcade, and later on in my life, one of my buddies bought one and had it in his bedroom, and man, hmm. like, that was, like, I spent way too much time in his bedroom playing that yeah, game. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know if I'll buy any of those, but I think it's good and important that they are preserving that era of Nintendo games, which I think have been underserved in terms of, like, modern releases or, like, modern remembrance, really. I mean, if you're not Donkey Kong, no one remembers that early stuff. Yeah, or Donkey Kong Jr. or whatever. But Nintendo got... No one remembers Donkey Kong 3. No, you're right. Mario wasn't in it. Yeah. I mean, Nintendo got out of the arcades pretty quickly. Yeah. Once it started releasing home consoles, they just kind of bailed on the whole It was there for a while. It's it some good stuff. I mean, Popeye is one of Miyamoto's better arcade games. No, you're right. No one, no one remembers it because he can't re-release it because of the license. Nope, you're absolutely right. Um, but I used to play that in a pizza parlor near my grandma's house and over and over, and I think I maybe got to the second level twice. And then I, I went and played it again on an emulator a few years ago, and uh, I still could barely get to the second level. Those games are hard, man. Like They, they are not fooling around. They were ready to take a quarter at a second's notice. Yeah. Between this Direct and then the big indie push at PAX for Nintendo, Switch is looking pretty good, man. I'm still a little hazy on what 2018 is, though, yeah. for it. I mean, I mean it's going to finish the year. Exclusive games, it's looking a little It's going to finish the, the year side. super strong. Yeah. But uh, I'm still curious what Nintendo's, like, first party plans are for the for 2018 that do not involve Kirby. Yeah. And I guess Pokemon, assuming Pokemon will make it. Yeah, I mean there were um and somewhere in there is a retro game. You're we right. Don't, we don't know what retro's doing. There was kind of a or... leak before this direct happened. Nintendo had accidentally put up some stuff on its Japanese YouTube channel that had tags to Super Smash Brothers and Mother. Right. I saw that, yeah. Um, and then nothing ever came of that. Like, mm-hmm. none of that stuff ever appeared in the direct. Also, so. you're never getting Pikmin, apparently. Yeah. What like... happened to Pikmin 4? <laughs> I mean, that, to me, was, like, the easiest guess for this. I'm like, okay, we're finally going to see the Switch version of Pikmin 4. But I'm assuming that's coming next year. That'll be a nice little gap filler for Nintendo. So, all right, so we've all, we're going to talk next about Controversy. Controversy. Someone in someone in particular who seems to drum it up on a regular basis. Yeah, it has been about what three months. Yes, yeah, it's, um. it's the last one. Actually, we're, so we're going to talk about PewDiePie, but we're also mm-hmm. going to talk about 
another YouTuber, T Mart, T Martin. Mm -hmm. What's going on, guys? We're going to talk about both those guys as one story. Is that what he sounds like? Is That's that... what he says. He starts every video with, What's going on, guys? Didn't everybody start their video with that? Well, no, he has like a. Oh, what's up, guys? He has like an ink, like a New Jersey accent or oh, something. Okay. Like he really puts like a little kibosh on it. But uh, let's talk first about PewDiePie. Uh, no stranger to controversy. No. How long was it though? Six months ago, the last time. What was the last? Maybe one? a little the, longer. The, the not, that was the, the Fiverr controversy, right. where he paid five bucks to have the people in the third world country hold up the sign that said "Kill all Jews." Death is that right? Death to all Jews. Death I to think. all Jews, or something. Yeah. Along that's, those lines. that's hilarious. Yeah, real funny. Um, uh, yeah, that was that was early early this year. Yep, and he apologized for that. And I remember when we talked about it on the show. Sort of. Sort of. I think when we talked about it on the show, we uh, we said, okay, we'll accept your apology, although it doesn't seem especially yeah, sincere. It, seemed, it was a little more like, I apologize if you didn't get the joke. Pretty much. Thing, which is like, all right. And so when that happens, you kind of file that in the back of your mind, and you mm -hmm. say, okay, well, he made a mistake, he kind of owned up to it, but didn't really, and then... Any rational human being would have known not to make that mistake, but right, okay, right, here we are. Right. And then... He's our, young. Which we, we build in a lot of excuses for the guy. We try to. You try. Because he seems to be an amicable fellow. Mm -hmm. He seems to be a nice guy <laughs> that you would like to hang out with. That should be on his business card. Amicable fellow. <laughs> amicable fellow. <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, I want to believe him. But then here we are mm -hmm. months later, and he's on a live stream playing uh, PUBG, and he uses the N-word. Very easily. Yes. And very, it just boom. There yeah, it is. Yeah, like, it wasn't like awkward or it just, there it was. It, and, I mean, and I think later he basically said, I forgot I was on a live stream. It's like, that's not a That's good not encouraging. That's not what like, you should say. No. <laughs> I mean, to me personally. You and I are not dropping N bombs the instant the TriCaster goes no, off. No, that's just, just FYI. Yeah, that's, that's not, not happening. Like, there's no behind the scenes footage of Matt and I <laughs> using the N word, but. Uh, and I've never, I've honestly never used that word, I don't think, in my entire life. Uh, I've only, there was, I had a lot of uh, African-American literature classes in college, and in each class, the black students in the class would vote on whether the white students were allowed to say it. <laughs> yeah. And so some, and some, wow. some classes we did, some classes we did, and it was kind of a thing. It's like, okay, we're in here, where this is a space where we can all use this and discuss this, and someone's yeah. like, no, I'm not comfortable, they shouldn't use it, and so we didn't. And like, yeah. that's just how it went. Even in, in hip-hop And I didn't like saying it. Anyway, yeah. at all, I, mean, I, I, I would like try to avoid yeah. <laughs> using it. You know, <laughs> yeah. would, it's just not a word I like in my mouth, along with any, along with any ethnic slur, really. But like yeah. that one in particular is, um, you know, there's just there's a big monumental dark history of of that word in American culture, and you know that's kind of been the the conversation. Is like, does PewDiePie understand? Or Europeans understand Culturally. how weighted that word is and how yeah. toxic it is to an American. Um, and I feel like if you have the international audience he does, you're, it's kind of part of your responsibility to know that. Yeah. You know, in the same way that, like, if I was broadcasting heavily somewhere where, you know, I'm going to betray that I've been watching BoJack Horseman, but, like, that, that <laughs> thumbs up is an offensive right gesture you should make sure not to do that right you know just out of consideration for who you're brought you got to consider your audience i i don't buy it also i don't think he's made an excuse either that like i didn't i have not heard him say i did not realize how big a deal that word 
Is no, no that hasn't been. So it's just kind of like a, hey, it's just a word, shut up. Yeah. It's His like, excuse is it just slipped out. Right. Which, that word has never just slipped out of my mouth. No. Like you, I went to, I went to Temple University, and Temple is an incredibly diverse school. Um, it's almost half uh, minorities, and it's basically split down the middle, half minorities, half white. And when you go to school there, you are required to take six credits of racial studies. And essentially what those classes are, it's kind of like what you were talking about. For me personally, the classes that I had to go to, it was an hour, three days a week, where you went and just heard these horrible stories. And in some cases got yelled at by black students because they're angry and they're looking for someone to mm -hmm. vent at. And you just had to kind of sit there and take it. And uh, that, I mean, you, you'd go through something like that, you start to learn... I mean, I knew already. I wouldn't have gone to Temple if I didn't <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> in the first place. So I got it, but I hadn't really got it until no, you. Yeah, sit... you don't you don't know it till you sit in the room with, with people who have lived it and... for like a hundred hours. Yeah, and yeah. like you don't, like, you know, you get that thing kind of driven through your skull where it's like it's like oh, you know, these people grew up in a different America than I did yeah. in a lot in a very real sense, and yeah. it's just like you can never understand it as someone who didn't live that, but you can be aware of it. And right. you can acknowledge it's real and it exists, and it's something that you have to keep in mind uh, when these kind of things happen. Where it's like you know, it's 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 a perspective shift uh, that we're never going to fully be able to grasp as you know white middle class people. And, and I've seen a lot of people try to say, "Oh, that's so far in the past. Let's just forget about it and move on." No. And and look, I can understand that on. A very superficial level for some people who maybe didn't have the classes that I had, or mm -hmm. didn't live in North Philadelphia for four or five years, and Born be and, and, and right, <laughs> yeah. Where and, did you spend most of your days? <laughs> on the playground, no, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Fresh, Fresh Prince was west, but that's yeah. that's cool. It, and so I can understand, like on a surface level, that they're like, "Well, this really sucks." Let's just forget about it and move on. It's I think it's human nature in a lot of way to, mm. ways to just try to for, sweep something under the rug that you don't want to deal with. That's not how it is, though. Yeah. Well, I, I keep I, when people do that, I keep thinking about uh, Bill Hicks, who's a com com I guess not very famous comedian. Most people haven't heard of him, but you have heard a lot of his material if you've heard Dennis Leary. Yeah, because he, he stole still, a lot of he it. Stole it all because yeah. Hicks died in about ninety three, ninety four. But he had a whole thing where he was talking about the Kennedy assassination and how people would tell him, you know, can't you just let it go, let it go, let it go? And he's like, all right, well, don't bring up Jesus to me. Yeah. <laughs> can't you just let it long, go? As long as we're talking shelf life yeah. there. And it's like, yeah, like the whole, like, it was a long time ago thing doesn't really hold water considering, like, the things our culture places uh, importance on in terms of age. So I don't, you know. Well, I think it's offensive to tell an African-American to, hey, just forget about the fact that you're... That your ancestors were enslaved. Of course, like, that's just well, insane. Also, at the same time, you turn around and saying like, "Oh, we should keep all these monuments to Confederate people, right? Because otherwise, we'll forget our history, right? So, do we <laughs> let it go or do we remember it? Like, what? You know, which one do you want to do? Yeah. So, uh, do you buy the fact that this just slipped out of PewDiePie, or do you think that this is? Well, a I think it did just slip out, but I think it's because he uses that word a lot, right? Yeah. Like I, and look, this is just our opinion. We're not stating this is fact, but you know. I've been around the block a few times, yeah. and generally, yeah. somebody who lets the N-word slip out is someone who just uses the N-word. Right. I agree. <laughs> I, and, like, whether you think that's a reason to stop watching PewDiePie or not, uh, it is. 
Yeah. <laughs> <But> like, <laughs> to me it is. Yeah, to me it absolutely is. But like, clearly, I, I don't want to support someone like clearly that. Clearly there's people that don't find that to be a problem in today's 2017 world. Yeah. And that's sad, but okay. I mean, yeah, what are you I mean, do? we have to argue whether Nazis are bad people now. Like, I don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah. But what we really want to talk Makes about, you want to though, put another pre-order down on Wolfenstein, too. Yeah. But look, aside from the of whether you believe that it's just a slip or he uses that word all the time, what we really want to talk about with PewDiePie is that this is starting to turn into a pattern. Mm -hmm. And Also, it didn't even make any sense in the context of how he used it. It, it, it didn't at all. Like, which, it's not it's not an all-purpose insult. It doesn't... No. I mean, unless you... I mean, that's the other thing is, like, he was using it basically to denigrate the person he was speaking about. Right. I mean, clearly it's used as a negative thing. And it's like, I, there's no clean way out of that. It's just sort of like, yeah, that's, I can't get around that as something like, it's like, there's no, there's no innocence there in terms of like the fact that that happened. Like to me, it's like, well, that's somebody, look, that's somebody uses the N word on a daily basis probably. And look, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody. Sure. That's just life. That's being a human being. A but lot it, of the times it's how. But a certain number of mistakes becomes a pattern. No, you're right. Yeah. But a lot of it is how do you learn from your mistakes and how do you change from your mistakes? So going back to what we were talking about earlier about how we did the whole thing with Fiverr, um, we kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt. We weren't completely happy with how he kind of addressed it, but we were like, okay, he says he's sorry. Let's take him for his word. But then this happens again. And then we again, we get the half-hearted apology. Mm -hmm. And the more times you do that, the impact of your apologies, it just starts to just fly out the window. It, they have no impact after a while because you're like, yeah, you said that last time. Mm. It's just like anyone... And I don't think you can you can kind of use the, oh, it was a joke thing on this one because it no, clearly wasn't. Yeah. There's that... He had that defense last time. Yeah. You don't have... Like, the, you oh, don't, it's a joke. You don't have the comedic plausible deniability yeah. maneuver on this one. This is just like, what? Like, yeah, I, th I think you learn, you know, these things teach you something, whether you like it or not, about someone's character, and uh, yep. I don't particularly like what I see there. And look, there are some people who don't care, you know, the people who create content for them or people that they would consider an artist, they don't care that much about how mm -hmm. they are in their private lives, they just care about the art or the content that they right. create. Um, and I understand, I mean, you can't, you can't background check everyone who makes stuff right. you like. It's like, you know? I love thousands of bands but look, do i know if right the lead singer or the guitar player in one of those bands thinks or says things that i don't agree with hell no i don't so it's hard but for i think me. It, but if it presents itself it's like you know right. I th it's like then it's up to you to make the decision right and it's like you know like i in i inherited a bunch of you know vintage movie posters from my dad and i was gonna you know frame and put up a bunch of the ones of the movies i really liked and then when then one of the posters was rosemary's baby yeah. and part of me was like you know what i really do like rosemary's baby as a movie but i don't think i want to frame polanski yeah on my on my wall right like right. I, but it's like you know, once I know about something like that, it's like, look, I mean, look, I still think Annie Hall is an amazing movie, but Woody Allen's super gross to me now. Is, you know, it's, yeah. like, it's like, it's like, it's not like I'm going around background checking everybody I might like just just in case they said something I don't like. But it's like, if you present something really that anathema to me, then I can't help but react to it. And that's where you're kind of put on the spot as the consumer, yeah. because you're kind of put on blast at that point. That's where you with yourself has to make a decision. Do I? Support this person, or mm -hmm. do I not? Um, you know, I. I'm going. They to... often say ignorance is bliss. Yeah, <laughs> and, you're not wrong. And sometimes it's it's completely accurate. 
Uh, and sometimes you're just slapped in the face with truth and you're kind of yeah. forced to make and a choice. And sometimes it's harder than others. Like, I mean, look, I, re- you know, I really don't want to believe bad things about Michael Jackson. Yeah. You know, Thriller is one of the greatest albums ever recorded. And like, yeah. you know, but you just, it's so many weird things there, you know, so, know. and nothing's proven, nothing's for yeah. sure, but it's just like, mm, I don't know, you know, it's like... <laughs> I don't know when it's I hear Billy. Thing, when a, I hear Billy Jean, I don't think about it. No, at all. I, just, I just think about the baseline. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, so badass. But um, I guess it's just a good thing we didn't have live streaming when Michael Jackson was was, <laughs> was yeah. popular. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Who uh, knows what we would have found out about the celebrities we grew up loving? Yeah, you know, that we didn't already over time. I know? think what bothers me the most about this situation is that his audience is really young. Yeah, um, really young, and. People aren't born racist. No baby pops out of the womb and is like, I hate these people and these people. (laughs) It's something that they learn from their parents. And sadly, for a lot of these younger kids who are on YouTube, their parents are using YouTube as a babysitter. Mm -hmm. Or they're not really taking care of their kids the way that they should be at all. They're just like, oh, let him play his video games and use the internet. And Mm -hmm. as long as he or she's not in my hair, like whatever. To some of these kids, PewDiePie is kind of like... A parent, or at least like a brother figure, brother figure or, or like a like a role model ish. So I mean, I mean, not that you know, it's like you know, Charles Barkley. I'm not a role model kind of thing. Yeah, but it's like you're still an influential figure. Well, they're called influencers. Right, that's what they want to be called. That's what they're called in the market. Unless and, they're on EA's press conference, in which case they're game changers. Right, <laughs> touche. <laughs> and I don't want. Him influencing kids. If this is the stuff that he's going to say, I just don't. Um, kids learn this stuff. They're not born that way. And if they hear their hero, PewDiePie, and look, a lot of these kids, he is their hero. Mm-hmm. They're going to think it's okay. It makes it socially acceptable to young, impressionable people. Yeah, it's normalizing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, and well, if PewDiePie does it, and he's rich. And that's the other part of our society. And he's an amicable hate, fellow. Is that there's so many people that will just look at someone and say they're rich, so they're okay. Mm-hmm. They're good. If they're rich, then I want to be like that, because look, all man, I care about is being rich. Even Notch called this one out as being a little weird. Oh, he did? Yeah, because like somebody was like saying, like, well, it's just a word. And Notch, Notch responded, I was like, dude, it's pretty obvious what happened here. Kind if of thing. Notch said that, because <laughs> some of the stuff that Notch has been saying lately, holy cow. Yeah, that's a, that's a line. That's certainly, certainly a line in the sand right yeah. there. But, so I'm really uh, disappointed in this. Uh, I felt like we gave him a second chance. I mean, I'm not and... particularly surprised, I suppose. But, like, it's just... It feels like if I were in his shoes, I would keep a much tighter rein on that kind of thing. It just seems like a pretty no-brainer. Let's just make sure we don't say ethnic slurs and racial epithets on stream. I know he said he forgot he was on stream, but it's like, how can you forget? You're always on stream. He's also been streaming for in front of 30,000 people for a while. Yeah. <laughs> like that I don't know. I mean, we've been doing... I, I, I never forget half-hearted. He, made, he, he put out a video yesterday complaining about he got a copyright strike, and if he gets two more, his channel may go away. Like, YouTube's never going to take his channel away. It's too I, big. Yeah, there's no way that's going to happen. I mean, they, they... And they, how do you feel about that? That's the other angle to this story is the, the Firewatch, Firewatch guys, like, basically issuing him a copyright strike and saying you can't play our games anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, look, it's been proven over and over all week that they have completely had the legal right to do this. Yeah. That's not a debate. But how do you feel about it morally? Um, it's their game. They can do whatever they want. Yeah. And, like, I can't argue with them not wanting their game to be associated with him. Uh, even though, I mean, I feel like, you know, 
they got look they got they a got lot out of their him. windfall out of it already right. sure but I and mean, that's the angle that that's a little funky is that they've essentially got what they needed out of PewDiePie. Now, yeah, obviously, the same t- they're mean, still working on another game, and they're not going to get that same promotion they had last time because of this, but still, they already got what they wanted out of PewDiePie. Sort of, but I mean, at least this, this is also a way of saying, like, hey, we don't want any more of that. From you know, Whatever you, whatever further windfall they might get out of that, they're, they're cutting that off. Are you surprised nobody else jumped in? No. Really? Not really. I am. I'm not. I thought... I didn't think everybody would, would jump on the pile. But I thought at least one more would. No. I mean, the industry basically left them out to dry. No, everyone's afraid of being called censorship or whatever because no one understands what censorship is anymore. Um, and it's just, you know, I mean, the DACA thing is also, it's a, it's, it should be serving as a wake-up call or a reminder at least. The entire YouTube world, especially like the Let's Play stuff, exists at the whim of the publishers. Yeah, they it could. Does. I mean, I mean, because Let's Play has already been, um, you know, ruled as not a transformative work, which right. means it's it's a derivative work, yeah. which means that any time all these companies can just say no more Let's Plays, yeah, and that's over. I mean, you, you're can. never. I mean, it's not like uh, like like H Bomber guy or like um, well, technically you know, like, like Super Bunny Hopper, like the guys who do like the analysis stuff. Like that's protected. That's that's editorial content. That's transformative. But Let's Play stuff exists at the whim of the industry. Technically, they could do Let's Plays that are legal and could avoid being taken down, but literally, they would have to be commenting on every little yeah. thing that happens while they play. Yeah, there wouldn't... can be no dead air, there can be no just no laughing, no goofing. No just babbling about what happened that day. Like, nope. Because you know, that's not what, you know, Let's Plays are not particularly focused anymore. No. Uh, they yeah. used to be. Like, yeah. like early Let's Plays were very much about we're going to do this, we're going to talk about this. But as, as it became more of a community interaction situation, now they're just hangouts. They're just yeah, just hanging out, playing a game. Yeah. And if the industry wanted to, they could pull the plug on that tomorrow. Yep. And I well, think probably that, not tomorrow because it's Saturday. I think that's been lawyers part of the, aren't in, but they could do it Monday. I think that's been part of the problem is that the publishers have let this go on for so long that people just assume that it's legal. Right. Which is not true. All this time, they could have taken any of this stuff down that mm-hmm. they wanted to. And it's not illegal, but it's also like, well, if you want to stop someone from doing it, you can. You're not going to go to jail for doing it. No. But you could be... It's not a crime. You could be sued or fined yeah. if they send you a cease and desist. Well, if you, you refuse don't... to don't. If you refuse to yeah. do it, yeah. But, like, people don't really, you know, everyone is in kind of that, you know, information wants to be free or whatever, but it's like... You, can, you know, just it's this. No, it would be no different than like if we did our, our like if we watched a movie and did like Mystery Science Theater commentary on it, which right. which remind you know as many people have reminded uh, others this week, uh, Mystery Science Theater has to license all their movies. Right, they have to pay. Yeah, yep. And so that's not it's not a comparable situation. False. And it's also why Rift Tracks, um, when Rift Tracks does like a you know which is uh, Mike and a bunch of the ex MST guys when they do. Like a, they do commentary tracks for like the big movie, you know, the the big blockbuster movies. But they, of course, you just buy the MP3 and play it alongside watching your movie. They don't include the movie because there's no way they could ever license that, and there's no way they could justify distributing the movie with that. Yeah. Um, do you think it was the right move for them to issue the copyright strike um, for the for the company financially? I guess we'll find out. I mean, it's hard to gauge that until we see how kind of the gaming community in general accepts or reacts to their next game yeah. in light of that. I would like to think it didn't hurt them too much. Um, but who knows? Yeah. Like, stranger things have happened and more annoying 
boycotts have occurred. But gamers also aren't very good at boycotting things. No. Because we want to play them, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, even if I was annoyed by them doing that, like, would I be able to pass up the next game by the guys who made Firewatch? Probably not. Probably not. I mean, I, yeah. I really like Firewatch, and I would uh, want to play the next thing somehow. And the last thing we want to touch on before we move on is T. Martin and his band of Merry Thieves. Um, they had their verdict read this week, and they got off with nothing. Nothing. No fines. And just for, for you guys, if you may not know, T. Martin was running a Counter-Strike Ghost Skins gambling site. Um, and while he, promoting it, while pretending he didn't run it? Right. That, that was yeah. the deal so right? he was promoting this Counter-Strike Go site where people could gamble on skins. And it was kind of one of those like, hey guys, we found this amazing site kind of thing. What's was going it? on, guys? <laughs> we got this awesome <laughs> Counter-Strike Go site over here. Yeah, that's what he was doing. He was saying, oh, I found this awesome website where I can gamble on Counter-Strike Go Skins. Go over and check it out. And he wasn't telling people that he actually owned the website uh, with another one of his buddies. Um, and he was prosecuted and lost and then ultimately handed down his punishment this week. And he got nothing. No fines. Mm -hmm. Nothing. I mean, I don't know the intricacies of the case, but like... To me, this seems like a, an example of laws not... Of not setting an example? No, nah, yeah, but it's also like <laughs> the laws aren't in place to handle this situation. Yeah. Because so much of this is new tech. Well, it's a lot, a lot From like, a legal perspective, law moves very slowly in terms of adjusting to new technology. It's like the same laws that govern YouTube. Right. Or like how long it took, you know, kind of the music industry and law surrounding that to catch up to Napster. Yeah. And all that back in the day. Yeah. It's like content theft on YouTube is governed by these laws that were written. Mm -hmm. It's like the Radio Act. Right. It's like it was literally written. Yeah, it's still written. called the Radio Act. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it's going to take to... Uh... Which also, by the way, if you ever get in any kind of legal situations with stuff like that, you will sometimes get bogged down in the definition of what broadcast means right. and whether... Something, something the on the internet, a cable. Yeah, that supposedly means th through the air, where anyone can pick it up. But right. the internet is kind of like that. But then you, because anyone who's on the well, internet Wi-Fi goes can pick that up, and Wi-Fi <laughs> goes, goes through the air. But then you have to argue, and you know, then you, you, the counter argument to that is like, well, you have to pay to get to the internet, so it's not. You know, the idea of like the FCC and stuff was that, like anyone could pick this up with an antenna and you right. have to protect people from being picking up horrible, obscene things or whatever. Yeah. But then on the flip side, you're like, well, anyone who has a phone can pull into that even if they don't pay for internet separately. But then you're like, well, then they're paying for the phone, but the phone is not necessarily internet. And it's, it's like, it, it the, sucks. Well, like, the there's no the definitive is, anything on all this yeah. stuff. And the problem with the law that governs YouTube is that it's written in such a way that. YouTube is not responsible for finding stolen content on its website. Right. The creators have to find it. And then once you notify YouTube, the only thing that they have to do is take it down within... And it's not even clearly defined how much time they have to take it down. Within a, mm -hmm. a, a reasonable amount of time, I think, is like the verbiage. It's like, yeah. what does that even mean? So it's all well, on everybody else to make sure YouTube isn't stealing. You, you may notice if, like, a lot of times when you sign like freelance contracts or something they'll say like they'll give you a number of days they'll pay you within once the delivery of the work is done yeah but it almost always says approximately right yeah what does that mean <laughs> i don't know if some, you're gonna pay me an approximately 14 yeah. days what is that They're like but i mean i've used this analogy before but essentially the way youtube works is imagine you're clorox and you're selling bleach at walmart and the way the laws are set up for youtube clorox would have to hire somebody to go and stand in the aisle at walmart 
to watch to see if people are stealing his bleach. Right. That's the way the laws are set up for YouTube. It, because, again, there are laws from decades ago that well, had no idea the internet was even I coming. Think, I think the people who make the laws that are going to handle the internet and such things properly and, like, really revamp everything to sort of work in a modern context, I think the people who are going to write those laws are about 12 right now. Yeah. I think they're, they're going right. to... They're a generation that's going to grow up in it and understand the pitfalls of it and understand what's needed, and they're going to do it themselves once they get, you know, in their 30s or 40s and hold office and can and can actually effect some change on that. Because, yeah. frankly, the people that are in charge right now don't even know how to get online half the time. Uh, people our age are probably still not involved in that, um, you know, that, that YouTube generation stuff is enough to know how to do that properly. I think we'll put some band-aids on it, but yeah. I think there'll be, have to be like, like a, a new radio act kind of thing where they just sort of rewrite everything to take into account what modern communication is like. And that's, the, the kids who are going to do that uh, were born this century, in my opinion. I think the, the bottom line for this entire topic, talking about PewDiePie and T. Martin and the CSGO scandal, is that these people are influencers. They're influencing our youth. And by all accounts, they appear to be bad people. And also, by all accounts, they are not receiving any punishment for what they do. Seems to be a theme these days. Yeah. I mean, they're empowered. That empowers somebody to continue boorish behavior. Mm -hmm. When you do it, you get away with it, and there are no consequences. What incentive do you have to change? And I think that's why we see PewDiePie with the one scandal, and then a few months later, here it is again, five months from now. Probably get another one because he's not. No one learns a lesson unless there are consequences, mm -hmm. and there have been no consequences for either of these folks in either in either case. So I don't know. It's scary to think. I'm not a parent. I don't have a kid, but it would be scary for me to have you know an eight or nine year old kid going on the internet, getting fed garbage by these people mm -hmm. or being manipulated by these people. And you know, I guess it ultimately That's that just goes back a... to being a parent. Yeah, well, and doing also, your job. As yeah, a exactly. It's also why you got to keep an eye on you know it's it's. It's. I think there is an, an an impetus on people with these huge audiences, as well as the services that you know that facilitate this, to be responsible for and and keep an eye on what they're sort of serving up in that regard. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's the parents got to be aware of what these kids are watching. You can't you know yeah. let them. It's a parent's job. It. It's their responsibility. Yeah. It's and, sure. it, and it sucks that like you know that's another yet another responsibility on top of making sure the child survives every day yeah. you know like there's a lot to do as a parent i'm not a parent either but there's you know i see my sister work real hard but every you accept day. that responsibility but you gotta do you it decide to have it's a kid be part of it that's part know? of the contract like, you sign so and it's just you know but I, it, yeah i don't want to blame pewdiepie or t martin for influencing the kids because the parents have to let the kids access that content yeah. in the first and you gotta place. know what your kids are watching even if you're not interested in it my mom used to sit and watch some of the shows my sister and i would watch growing up to make sure they weren't terrible right and i mean they were terrible but they weren't like <laughs> not in that way in no. the sense that they were written <laughs> for idiots not yeah. you know and you watch them now and i'm just like really like did you think i was like there was something wrong with me that i watched this much he-man as a child <laughs> like, i don't know um but like the other thing I think is, is I think we're going to see st starting to warm up is stuff where like, you know, you see these companies like YouTube and Twitter just not taking action and taking responsibility for what's happening, happening on their platforms. On these, yeah. And it's like, you know, especially with like Twitter and stuff, it's like, look, you guys clearly, I mean, back in the day when you're starting these services, you would have, if I asked you what you wanted to do with them in the end, you know, what your 
pie in the sky, blue sky goal would have been. I'm sure they would have given me that usual, you know, venture capitalist tech Silicon Valley spiel about changing the world right. and being. Well, you did, and now you have to take responsibility for being the person who changed the world. No, you're right. And I don't think they're doing a good enough job. They on don't that want right. to. They don't want to invest the money in it. No, no that's the right. problem, and that's what it'll. Do. It costs a lot of money to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and there's also, I think there's a lot of... Especially like Twitter, because also, Twitter financially is doing terrible. Right. So. <laughs> when they lost that, what was it, Disney was going to buy them a few years ago? Yeah. And then basically Disney was like, looked real hard and it was like, you know, maybe not. You know, you have terrorists <laughs> recruiting other terrorists <laughs> on your service. Yeah, maybe we'll stay away from that Maybe one. this isn't the happiest place on the internet <laughs> quite yet. Sure. All right, let's move on. We probably stuck on that one a little bit too long, but it's uh, one of those topics that's going to keep coming up. Um, these people are really important in our industry and not just in our industry, but I think culturally as well, and generally in our culture, not just the gaming culture. So mm -hmm. certainly we're all worth discussing. We're going to move on now to another somewhat of a controversy. Um, so we have a colleague that we've known for probably two decades now, Dean Takahashi. Mm -hmm. He has been a games journalist for as long as... Ever. Forever. <laughs> forever. I mean, longer than, certainly longer than I have. Yeah. He I was, mean, he was a very well established by the, when I started doing this. Yep. And I've seen him at countless review events, mm -hmm. press conferences. He's at everything. He travels a lot. Um, he says he writes 12 news stories a day, every day. Mm -hmm. um, well, he'd go, like, E3, it'd be like, you know, E3's happening. E3's going. We're, we're at E3 all day. We're, we're the, yeah. And then he puts up, like, eight stories by, like, 7 p.m. Yeah. Was, like, the, the man is a machine. He is a machine. And he's been around the block. He knows the industry very well inside and out. He's very well connected in the industry, has a lot of contacts. Uh, he's very well respected in the mm -hmm. games industry. I he's, have a lot of respect a, for him. And he's a super nice dude. He is. On top of it all, he's a, all, he's a great guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's a really awesome guy. The most affable, friendly. Um, I've seen him help other journalists if they had gear that broke. He'd be like, mm -hmm. oh, I got a cable. Like, he's just a great guy. Uh, has certainly paid his dues, has the chops. Um, so what happened was he went, was it Gamescom that he was at? He was, I think it was Gamescom. It, was it Gamescom or PAX? Hmm. I want to say it was Gamescom. I don't know. One or the other. It was either, it was either Gamescom or PAX. He was playing Cuphead and a very, very challenging game, I might add. Yeah. Um, and he was playing it. As they we were almost it. about to learn firsthand. It's coming out. Yeah, it's coming out soon. And, uh, he was playing Cuphead terribly. I've been. I've seen that game at countless mm -hmm. events. Everybody plays it terribly. It's one of those games that if you don't have headphones on and you're not completely sucked into it, have all the concentration. You have somebody over your shoulder telling you, "Do this, do that, do this," demoing the game for you. It's not the ideal environment to play a game like that. So he plays it terribly, and he knows it. So mm -hmm. they put up the video, and in the video, it's even titled like "Watch me play Cuphead terribly." self-deprecating, takes shots at himself over it. The site that he works for totally hams it up and plays along with it. And some people on Twitter get a hold of it, and it, I can't even want to like call out the specific people who did this, but they were basically saying, like, this guy should not be a games journalist. He's not good enough at games to be a journalist. Hmm. Well, I got bad news for you, boys. Yeah, <laughs> because you've obviously never been in a review period for a shooter before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's... first of all, let's just say that the the majority of games journalists are not expert players. No, these are not people who are going to be in esports yeah. for the most part. And I learned that very early on. I remember I was very excited when I first start, very very first started, and very early, it was a an event. 
Uh, one of the first events I think I ever went to, at least as full time, when I started full time work, was it was I think it was it was Virtua Fighter Four, and I'm a Virtua Fighter fan from way back in the day, and I was super excited to go to this event and finally play against some people. Because one of the problems was I didn't know people who played it right. enough. In fact, when Virtua Fighter Three came out on Dreamcast, several of my friends learned how to play Virtua Fighter just so that I'd have someone to play with, <laughs> and that's how you know yeah, you have friends. real friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, and one of them. Chris actually became exceptionally good at wow. uh, Shundi. Wow. He's, he's a, a serious threat as, <laughs> with the drunken master at this point. But um, so I was excited to go and play against some people I'd never played against, and then I get there and no one even knows how to block. Yeah. And most people are just there for the free drinks. Yeah. And I was the only one playing it. Eventually, I ended up playing against the develop like the the Sega developers who were there, and they're like, "Oh, you're re- you're you're really good for an American." <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, no." I, I, well, there was a time period in Japan where that was the only game that people oh, played. Oh, yeah. One of, my, one of my proudest gaming achievements of all time was going back to Japan the second time. after uh, We went 2003, and I just got leveled. Yeah. But at all, and I practiced, <laughs> went back two years, because we would alternate. You and I would alternate years, because yeah. like, we could only afford to send one editorial person. Yep. So you went the next year, and then I went the, in 2006, and I won. <laughs> I, won an, I won a match in, a, in an arcade in Japan against yeah. a, a wolf player. And I was so happy. I, I'm like, that's that was still one of the things I'm I'm super proud of. And I don't even know if the guy was any good. <laughs> but like, still won. You, you won a match in a Japanese arcade. Damn it. <laughs> um, but it was you know, no one knew how to play. No one cared. It was not. Yeah. A, it was not a thing. And so it was. And I learned over the t- over a period. Like, it's just like. And also, part of it is like, you can't like super judge a lot of these people because it's like. You're playing these games before there's any strategy guys. Before there's, any, I mean, there, there's little like support groups that exist where we can. You know, you used to talk to Sessler when you're out for a smoke in the parking garage when you were still at Gamespot, uh, and you were like, you'd trade like, I'm, uh, are you playing this game? Yeah, playing. This. How about that one level? It's like, yeah, that was that was really. I haven't passed it. No, me neither. It's like, like you'd have that feeling out moment <laughs> yeah, where you like yeah. you kind of figure it out. It's like, are we both figuring out? You try yeah. like not admit that you can't. You haven't passed that part, but then. Like, you trade tips. Like, that's yeah. just what happened, because there's no one else to talk to. But how important is it that you are extremely skilled at games as far as evaluating said games? Not tremendously, I don't think. I Do mean, you think it's more important that... Also, let's not forget that at one point, Dean Takahashi actually didn't... Re- when he reviewed Mass Effect 1, did not realize you could upgrade your character when you leveled up. Right. So he finished Mass Effect 1 at level 1. <laughs> that's not easy. <laughs> You're going to say crazy. he sucks at games? No, he, he level one ran <laughs> Mass Effect 1 before it even came out. Which is crazy. That's, I, could, I wouldn't yeah. do that. That's, that's, that's hard. Do you think it's more important to be like the average player? I don't think it's particularly important at all. Or do you think it doesn't all. matter at all? I don't think it's particularly important at all as long as you are able to evaluate and communicate properly your experience. And what if you're talking about games like Bloodborne or Dark Souls? I don't know, when you're, If you're going to review something like that. Like, I well, think it's ridiculous look. that somebody gave him crap. Like, first of all, the people who are giving him crap have no idea how this stuff works. Like, you go to a convention, you are just jumping around. Like, you go to the booth. You There's 20 games in mm-hmm. that booth. You go doing, 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 doing. And you play every game in that booth for like five or ten minutes. They shoot it off screen. If there's direct feed, you hook it up. You wire it up. You get the mic set up. You record it. And it's just machine gun fire. Like, these people are sitting at home behind their computer, keyboard warriors, as always, and they're saying, oh, you should... They have no idea what it's like to go to something like Gamescom or PAX and have to cover that with three or four people where there's, like, 500 games there. 
Um, but secondly, if you're really good at games, do you think that's really useful to the average player? Maybe not. Do you think your opinion's really useful to the average player? I think it is if you're aware that they're really good at something. It's like, it's like, I mean, there there was a moment, I mean, look, there was a time when I was assigned, at G4, I was assigned to review Demon's Souls. Uh-huh. And I didn't get it. Like, I, I spent two nights playing it, and I just couldn't, I was, I, it was a brick wall to me. And I finally went back, the only time I've ever done this, I went back to the head of editorial, and I said, I can't review this. Like, this is, whatever this is, this is not for me. And yeah. whatever you get out of me on this is not going to be a, a valid... It's not going to really be a useful evaluation of the game. It's just going to be an explication of why I suck at it. Right. And I didn't find that to be useful. I mean, that might be useful as, like, a blog post or a Twitter thread, which didn't really wasn't really a thing I was thinking about at the time. Yeah. But, like, in terms of kind of a, a monolithic editorial output machine, which what was what G4 was, yeah. like, that was not going to fulfill our needs. And so I just backed off of it. Uh, years later, I did review Dark Souls 2 for Rev 3 at Adam's request, and I didn't know if I was going to be able to do it. And yeah. there were a few times during that game where I'm like, I can't finish this. Yeah. I can't get through this. And I did, eventually. And through that crucible of hell, <laughs> I learned to love those games. Right. Um, now, I think that was a valuable experience to share in that regard, so maybe the argument could be made, even if you're not good at it, if you start to click with it, it it's, it's a valuable experience. And I don't... It's like, I'm not someone who thinks you need to agree with me for your review to be useful to me, um, especially if I know the critic. Like, if, you know, like, and movies are a common thing, but it's like, even if I disagree with Roger Ebert, Roger Ebert is such a good writer that I understand where he's coming from and I know whether I'm going to like or Whether that's going something. to ultimately affect your right. enjoyment of the film. Um, and I think that's true of just about anyone who you get to know as a critic. That's what the value of a critic is, is you know their mind, or at least you know their preferences and you get to know what they like and what they dislike. And some, I mean, Mick LaSalle has written movie reviews for the San Francisco Chronicle for as long as I can remember, and I make sure before I see a movie I'm not sure about, that, did he hate it? Because if he hated it, I'm going to love it. <laughs> like, but yeah. that doesn't make him an idiot. It makes him a useful crit. I mean, he's doing his job. Well, it's still a useful tool for you. Consistency is way more important than skill. There you go. Knowing what to expect from a critic is mm. far more important than what does or does not resonate with them, or in the, ga in the game space, whether they are skilled or not skilled at the particular genre or game that they're playing, mm. in my opinion. Um, I think someone who is unskilled can absolutely provide valuable feedback to a large number of consumers, because from my perspective, a lot of consumers are not good at games. Right, and a Cuphead's going to be uh, pretty hard for a lot of these people. Yeah. And it might be hard for me. I haven't played Cuphead yet. I don't yeah. know. Like, I watched that video of Dean playing, I'm like, I don't know, that could be me. Yeah. Who fucking knows? Like, it, it's, you know, I think, I don't think I would have made that, got stuck in the same place, at least not that long. But, yeah. like, I don't know. <laughs> like, you don't know. Maybe, you yeah. know, like, I haven't touched it yet. Yeah. I, uh, I feel terrible for Dean. And I think a lot of the people who went after him for this are just jealous I think there are people who are like, I should have that job, right. yeah. or I should have that access, and the reason that they think they should have it is because they're better, they think they're better at that game than him. Yeah, but being good at the game... They're completely forgetting everything that goes into right. Dean's being, position. Being good at the game is not the job. Right, it's not the job. It's reporting on the game accurately. Mm -hmm. That's the job. And Dean has proven over two decades... I think the other part, too, is that these people on Twitter had no idea who Dean was. Mm -hmm. They just thought, this is some guy from VentureBeat. I don't even know what VentureBeat is. All I know is I'm seeing him playing Cuphead, and he's not playing it very well. 
so screw him. I don't think they realized that Dean was this guy who was revered in the industry and that a lot of people were going to come to his defense. Mm-hmm. And I think people are coming to his defense also, because like, of Dean, he... not necessarily because of the argument that the people on Twitter are making. Right, but also, if, like, okay, if you see this guy and he's not any good and that's not a thing you like about it, don't listen to him. Right, just don't watch don't it. Don't read him. Yeah. Why, why, is it, why is it become, why, the guy should be fired? <laughs> because the be... internet has become a shame culture. Mm. Everybody just likes to shame everybody else on the internet. Like, they, it's schadenfreude. Everyone wants to make everyone else look bad, make fun of everybody. It's it's sad. Um, and I think, you know, the other part of it, too, and this has been talked about millions of times, is that in the real world, that he wouldn't have said anything to Dean. If he was standing right next to Dean, do you think he'd have said, oh, you suck, you shouldn't be doing this? Nope. Yeah, I've never seen that in one of those yeah. places. Yeah, he'll, but on Twitter, oh, yeah, he'll sit there and spout out his bullshit. Mm-hmm. So I think it's wrong. And people would do that in the arcades, though. <laughs> I oh yeah, the there old was some days. smack talking in the old days. People would be arcades. like, "What are you doing? Like you suck. Get out of the way so I can play." Like yeah. that would be stuff like that. But you don't do that at, a, at an industry event. Yeah, if you want to keep you working, keep working in, in the industry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think that also you're right. That kind of illustrates the whole point. The reason this guy probably is doesn't have Dean's job is because he's an idiot jerk. Mm. <laughs> Because if he were really that good and that charismatic and that great of a writer, chances are he probably would have bubbled up and had been working in the industry well, at this and point. Also, social skills are very important in this business. They are, without like, a doubt. There's a lot of networking. There's a lot of you help me, I'll help you. There's a lot of negotiation involved. Yep. Especially when you're doing stuff on the level that Dean does it. Yep. And he has been doing it for... Forever. 20 years. So... I mean, there are probably PR people who are intimidated to talk to him. Right. Oh, you're right. absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. you like green PR people. Yeah. Who, they start working someplace and they're like, that's Dean. Who started. He's been yeah. doing this for 20 years. And the PR person, I just started six months yeah. ago. And you don't think about I mean, when I first started, uh, I remember one of my first early events I went to, uh, Andy Eddy was there. Yeah. Who had been the editor-in-chief of the, the lead editorial on Video Games Computer Entertainment Magazine, which is the magazine I loved the most reading, reading when I was growing up. And... I was super excited and kind of like intimidated to say hello to him because like when I write reviews, I'm trying to emulate him. Yeah. And like, you don't always think about that in this. Like, where I, you know, I, you know, I did that, and, and a couple of my friends, you know, who I was working with already knew him and were like, oh, this is this new guy. He's working with us now and stuff. And I was like a little, and and Andy, I don't think Andy quite knew what to make of someone who was a fan to the yeah. point that they didn't <laughs> quite know what to say to him. Yeah. He's like, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but he's super, you know, he's super nice, and I'm friends with him now. He but is it's a great like. Guy. But it's like, it's that same kind of thing where it's like, some of these guys do stuff, at least internally, and maybe not like a massive scale, but like when you, when you know what goes into that stuff, and you read their stuff, or you, you watch their stuff, you know that they are one of the best, and in, in terms of, uh, of Andy and Dean, helped invent the form yep, to a large degree. Without a doubt. And like, you have to respect that, I think. One thing I would say before we move on is that, <clears throat> I do think there is a certain level of proficiency you need to have. Sure. Like, Otherwise, you're just not going to get it done. Right. Look, I'm not saying that like someone pull someone off the street who's never played video games and have them come in and play for mm-hmm. you, although that also has value. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a, a clickbait video to be made there. Yeah, <laughs> there's sure. not even necessarily a clickbait video, but it can show somebody just off the street, if they can't handle a game, that certain people could get value from that. Mm-hmm. But that's not the audience that... Dean is, is writing for. Right. And one of the first rules of journalism is write for your audience. So um, there is a certain baseline level of competency at playing games that I feel like you need to have. And once you've achieved that, but I don't it think, doesn't matter. I don't think you get 
as far and as long as Dean has without having that. Right, exactly. Also, you don't beat Mass Effect 1 at level 1 <laughs> without don't. having that. <laughs> that's true. I mean, uh, that's, that's a funny story, but, like, it contradicts the idea that he sucks too much to be able to do these things. Because, like, I've played Mass Effect 1 five times through. I don't know if I could do a level 1 run. Here's Especially what I with want. no guidance. Here's what I want. I want videos of the Twitter haters. Playing Cuphead? Playing Cuphead. Mm. Let's see it. Let's see how good you are. All right, let's move on. This is quickly turning into the cultural episode of Game Face. We have another story kind of from that angle. Uh, this week, so every once in a while, Blizzard puts out these developer docs, essentially, mm. and it's always the same guy. And he sits there and gives you a very conversational update on what's going on behind the scenes, talks about new features, uh, new special events that are coming up for it or whatever. Well, this week's episode was, uh, was anything but. In, it was pretty much all about how toxic players on Overwatch are keeping Blizzard from making the game as good or as robust as it could be. Essentially, he's saying, you guys are being such jerks that it's take here is play nice, play fair. You guys are taking so much time away from our development team handling all the complaints we get about you guys, all the toxic behavior, all the banning that we're doing. And I think they've banned like 150,000 people or something ridiculous in the last like mm -hmm. quarter or something. That is taking away from them making the game better. I mean, there's a finite amount of time for a dev team. Yes. I mean, this is... Look, we all hate... I feel like the people they're talking to don't care, though. Well, like, no. The toxic people aren't interested in making the game better. No. No, they want it to be worse so that they can more easily cheat at it. Mm-hmm. Or... They or whatever want, they're doing. I don't know why they want the do moderation that. tools to be worse so that they can get away with being toxic. But this is just another example of the dregs of the gaming community holding back or limiting the enjoyment or the fun from everybody else. And holy cow. Like, I never really thought about it. It's like, oh, yeah, we have to deal with these douchebags. So we can't work on this new map today. Or we can't work on the netcode today, or whatever. Or we'd rather work on latency, but instead we're working on our new reporting system. Because one of the things he mm -hmm. talks about in this doc is how a lot of people at first thought Blizzard wasn't doing anything. Because they would report other players, and they would get no sort of feedback. So now Blizzard has had to take all this time to build this crazy reporting system that immediately gets back to the people who report these people to let them know what kind of actions blizzard took it <laughs> that's impressive that they feel like they ha that needs to be a thing what's imp what's impressive though i mean it's impressive that, that like that these people have managed to have this kind of effect on the game to the level that like not Is only it... not only does blizzard feel they have to like take action but they have to let the people being affected know right that action is being taken like, oh, yeah. like people need feedback isn't like, this just what those people want though Maybe that's kind of my point. I all this. I, do you I ever come out and like release a statement like this? Because aren't you just giving the trolls and the toxic people exactly what they wanted? I don't know what they want. Well, they, some of them want to win. The ones that right. cheat will just want to win at whatever cost. The toxic players just want attention. I mean, I think mm. that's why most toxic players are toxic. They want people to say you're a jerk, you're an idiot. They want any kind of attention they can get, even if it's negative attention. And now you have the head, the the figurehead of Overwatch going on camera and talking about you. Hmm. 
I mean, to me, isn't that like a troll's delight? I mean, that's like a... I think only if you, they, he was to mention them by name. I don't know, man. Like the, Again, I think it's the whole schadenfreude. Somewhat, but I mean, what else can you do? You can't ignore them because it just keeps, it just keeps going. Well, I think you can't ignore them publicly, but behind the scenes... Yeah, but I don't think this message was for those people. I think it's for the community to know that, like, hey, this is kind of what's happening. And, I mean, I don't, I, I don't expect the whole, like, hey, you're ruining this for everyone to change anybody's mind, because I feel like that's probably the point. Right. But, like, I think it's case. valuable to the non-toxic people to see that Blizzard is aware and this is, be, this is taking up a lot of their time and it's a big thing, because then... You kind of have it. Sort of gives the community like the green light to go after these people in a more like you're ruining the game way. And now you can't really like they don't have plausible deniability on that anymore because Blizzard straight up said like the game would be better if you guys weren't being jerks. Not even in the sense of like it would be a more pleasant experience, but they would have more time to put more content and more effort into the game itself as opposed to coming up with policing tools for it. I think the problem is the uh, the trolls don't care how good the game is. Probably. I mean. <laughs> But it's just like that begs the question of like, well, what do they want? Just want attention. attention. They but want attention. They want somebody on get on their headset to say, "You suck. I hate you. You're the worst." Mm. I mean, the I just think a lot of these people just live really lonely lives. Probably the solu the solution for most people I know who play Overwatch seems to be they just don't play competitive anymore because that seems to be where all the trolls are. Really? Yeah. At the higher rungs of the game. Yeah. Really? Because that's also where a lot of the toxicity comes from, is people screaming about... Also, it's not just trolls and all that. It's also people who like just have no... Pa you know, like the old League of Legends thing. Now, people have no patience for people who aren't playing the way they think everyone should play. Right. You know, like that. And look, I've been guilty of that. Like, I've, I've talked about before on the show with Rocket League. Like, I hate when I get paired right. with somebody who doesn't know how to play. But it's also... I like, mean, I don't go after them and say, you suck, well, you can't chat in Rocket right, League. Right, but I mean, I mean, there's not a whole lot of, you know... Beyond, like, get on the fucking payload, I don't feel like there's a lot of constructive criticism to be had beyond that, because you can't tell someone how to play their character Yeah. Uh, beyond the basics, and it's like, look, they're not doing it the way you want to do it, but, like, that's the whole thing of a team, and if you don't like that, get but get a regular team together and play that way. Right. Don't play with randoms. Well, the problem is they're jerks and no one wants to be there. Yeah, that, that is a bit of a catch-22, isn't it? <laughs> I just think these people are just lonely. I think they don't have much more in their lives than the games that they play, mm -hmm. and they just vent. And uh, if they're not getting attention in the real world, they're going to try to get it somewhere else. And I mean, sadly, if you think about it online, who gets the most attention? The people who are nice mm -hmm. or the people who are not? It's generally the people who are not. Even if it's negative attention, and attention that somebody like you or I wouldn't even want, to somebody who is just begging for attention, right. it's better than nothing. And uh, I think that's that's a something that I think mankind is going to have to reckon with as we become more and more isolated. Because, I mean, life is getting to the point where you do not have to leave your house. You can have anything delivered to you now. You really don't have to leave, like, ever. Mm -hmm. And it's only going to get worse and more extreme. There's a lot of people that work from home now that aren't getting social interaction in their jobs anymore. I'm like that. I work by myself all the time, yeah. and it starts to drive me crazy after a while. Same. I, just, I had a conversation with one of the other people I'm working with, but we're all working from home, but like she, she came over to pick something up, and we ended up talking for like an hour. Yeah, you're like, I, don't leave! A, I'm like, people, human <laughs> beings! Like, what do you like, Seriously. Yeah. It gets that way, but it, it, a lot of, it comes out differently in every person. 
sometimes it comes out like, hey, let's go to have lunch or whatever. Like, I'm so glad you're here. And sometimes people don't even get that mm. and they lash out. And I think that's where you kind of see the toxic part of online gaming communities. So there is no easy answer. I, I personally some people, some think... Some people are just assholes, too. No, you're right. You're right. I think Blizzard, though, drawing attention to these people, I don't think was the right idea. Um, at least not in such a public way, because yeah. these developer docs have never been about stuff like this before. Yeah, but also, I, I don't think that's such a big... I mean, it's not like it wasn't already happening. Yeah, but I they, feel like you embolden them whenever they get what they want. Oh my god, the head honcho from Overwatch is talking about us. I think they get off on that, man. I just think that they do. I don't do. care. Like, fuck them. Like, talk about it. Like, explain what you're doing about it. Explain how it's frustrating to the dev team. Go ahead and express that. Maybe you can convert ca some of the more cares? moderate trolls. <laughs> who, I don't. Who cares about converting? Who cares what they think? Period. Who cares how they react? Period. They'll just deal. You know, Blizzard will just deal with it as it happens. But it's important to communicate to the to the non toxic people, the people just trying to play the game. It's important to communicate to them that Blizzard is as frustrated with it as as they are. Yeah. I think that's the more valuable. I I agree with that, but I think that there is maybe a more tactful way to do that. Maybe via community emails or newsletters. If there's one like thing that. I think we we should have learned so far this year is that it doesn't matter how you phrase it, the toxic people will take it and run with it one way or the other. So yeah. you so you might as well uh, you might as well blow some steam off. Yeah. <laughs> a little revenge at uh, the people who have been doing that at your expense, I guess. All right, so we've on. We're going to talk next about something we've been talking about on Game Face for months, and yeah. that is... Who knew these guys would be the ones to, to beat <laughs> everyone else to the punch? Who also knew they would come so fast, because, and just to preface the topic, Matt and I have been discussing how easy it was going to be for big publishers with more resources to completely steal the idea of Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. We didn't know how long it was going to take, who was going to be the first to do it. We, I think our last estimation was like middle of the year next year, mm -hmm. maybe late next year. I didn't, I, didn't, uh, I didn't factor in Fortnite. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Well, here it is. Launching in about a week and a half, Fortnite, which is Epic Games, tower defense, third-person shooter hybrid, is now creating its own players, player unknowns, battlegrounds type mode called Battle Royale. Um... It didn't take epic long, Matt. I think this was one point of contention we had, is that I said it would be very quick and easy, uh, and you said you thought it would, it would take longer. Well, I think part of this is that epic is very good at taking these things and making, you know, I mean, that's the, if you've watched uh, uh, Daniel, Daniel Dwyer's uh, behind-the-scenes uh, uh, documentary on Rocket League, like the guy who made, founded the company that made Rocket League got hired on as a modder by epic because he basically prototyped uh, Onslaught, the Onslaught yeah. mode from Unreal Tournament, and they brought him on to, hey, make that into a real mode for the next Unreal Tournament. And so, like, if they, you know, Epic does have a history of seeing these things in, in other mods or other games or whatever and being like, that's a good idea. Let's do that. And so it feels like this must have been a situation like that, where they're like, they saw a thing... And they're like, we gotta, we gotta get there. Well, the thing about this too is that it also incorporates the other elements of right. Fortnite, which is the building of the forts and defenses and things mm -hmm. like that. It's not just a clone, right? It's actually better. Maybe. I mean, it's still Fortnite. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I still haven't but played Fortnite. Imagine but. if both these games came out on the same day, and you were looking at Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, and you're looking at Fortnite. Mm -hmm. Which one would you just be immediately more drawn to? Oh, neither. But, um, <laughs> I mean, probably this one because yeah, like there's stuff more stuff to do in it. It feels it feels like there'd be something I could. I mean, I don't know. 
the the flat kind of like uh, straight up kind of military Eastern European look in PUBG is actually also kind of appealing to me. But really, yeah, I mean it's a little endearing because it kind of it, yeah, endearing is the right word. It betrays yeah. its indie root. Right. It doesn't betray. It actually demonstrates it where it come, where it came from. But this game looks far more polished. Yeah, it looks like if you're looking at it from a financial perspective, it might be the smarter horse to bet on because it's got loot. Who, know, who doesn't yeah. like loot? <laughs> every, I mean, every game has loot now. Numbers pop up. You know, it's, it's very Borderlands. But do you think this has a chance at uh, actually chipping in at chipping away at all from uh, PUBG's market share? Um, no. <laughs> but yeah. like, you know, I think <laughs> PUBG's market share is so huge that there's, there's probably plenty of room to piggyback. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I might try it. I certainly wasn't thinking about even messing with Fortnite. And now all of a sudden you're... Now all of a sudden I'm thinking about it. Right. Also $30. Both games are 30 bucks. Yeah, but I feel like Fortnite does more. Well, yeah, you have a lot more. I mean, with PUBG, all you have is that. Right. This is just an extra on top of... I mean, Fortnite's a pretty robust right. game all on its but, own. But does Fortnite have fog? Right. <laughs> I think it will, or it can. <laughs> I don't think Epic's going to have any problem putting fog into this game. But, uh, I just don't know. I mean, I, I would probably be more willing to take a shot at Fortnite if we hadn't talked about it on the show. And, right. And you, it's like, if I didn't know you, maybe yeah. I'd be more interested. I don't know. Yeah, if I hadn't already talked about how I was not a huge fan of it on uh, on the show. But I think the maybe the, the bigger thing we want to talk about here, though, is now that we've seen how quickly a mode like this can be built by a team with a lot of resources... Mm-hmm. Do you think that this is kind of the beginning of the end for the phenomenon? Or do you think people are always just going to jump on the original? I don't know. I mean, I think it kind of depends how well PUBG can keep up, maybe. Because that's the other problem. Or maybe, is like, or, like, I mean, this is kind of the first I mean, just the, the fact water. that we're talking about fog in PUBG right, but as I, a big thing. This is also thing. just sort of the first toe in the water of, like, do people even want a more expanded or more complex version of that motor is like the simplicity of it, the thing that appeals to people. Well, I don't think PUBG is that simple, to be honest with you. I mean, the concept of the mode simple, just be the last to survive, right. but I think there's a lot of intricacies there, that is, which is what keeps people coming mm-hmm. back for more. Um, but I just think it's interesting that really they gave a talented team a couple months and they were able to replicate. Mm-hmm. How many players is it? Uh, I don't know, actually. I don't think it's a hundred. I think it's less than a hundred. Yeah, but this definitely uh, looks like it has less sneaking. It also has the yeah. same shrinking battlefield. Right. I mean, it's exactly the same. Except, well, except like you know, so much of PUBG is hiding. I mean, it if is, you want to yeah. play it that way, you can. Yeah. You can yeah, but like this, well, that's pretty much how you win, right? But this seems like a little more action oriented. So I guess we'll see how that translates too. I mean. Like, I mean, look, the, the concept has room for about 10 or 15 different permutations, however people want to interpret it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'd love to see different games take take shots. I mean, I, I'd like to see what a Gears of War version of this would look like. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot of different things you could do, and who knows which one will be good or which one won't work or which one will be better, you know, whatever. Um, it'd be real interesting to see Halo tackle it. Yeah. In a, in a, in I think a, we're going to see all these franchises yeah. tackle it. Imagine, imagine, it is going to be the hot new mode in every Halo, shooter. Yeah, and with Halo, imagine like you know you can make it much bigger. You can make it much you know as the thing shrinks, you can get people in warthogs like drive breaknecking down as far. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean you could get some really cool stuff out of this yeah. if, you, if people go if the developers really go for it. And I guess it depends whether the engines can handle a map that size and that many players. But I feel like this should probably be on everybody's priority list if you're creating a shooter right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. 
for sure. It should, if you're working on some other goofy mode, <laughs> like Act, and actually, you should probably um, bail on that. And, and actually, you, you, know, uh, you know who should also be looking at this is Absolver. Yeah. Like a kung fu version of this yeah. would be maybe an interesting idea. Yeah. Because I think one thing or I've heard honor. about that game is that there's not enough uh, enemy density in the yeah. game. Or for honor. Yeah. Would be an inter- if they could pull that off in for honor. Or destiny. Yeah. I mean, it can work in so many. I mean, Destiny's instances. already got maps that are probably big enough for that. If you just like eliminate some of the corridor action, even like Mario Kart, something like <laughs> that. I mean, seriously, battle yeah. mode where the it just shrinks constantly, and I mean, the concept is so simple it can extrapolate. Fire across. Emblem Warriors. Yeah. <laughs> as long as we're doing it. I yeah, I, I don't know. That may bring the engine to its knees with all True. those enemies, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's crazy to think it did not take a talented developer with some cash behind it to replicate this very quickly. It'll be interesting to see if it actually takes off because Fortnite is not done especially mm-hmm. well so far. No, but they are first out of the gate with this, and we'll yeah. see if that counts. We're talking about it. Yeah. So there you go. All right, if we're going to talk about the revival of the last Rockstar game um, I thought would ever be revived. Mitchell is Alive says Far Cry. Far Cry 5 should definitely have oh, a yeah. game type in it. Well, if you toss in, like, the wildlife and the animals mm-hmm. in there as well. <laughs> Imagine if, like, the smallest part of the circle is just, like, a bunch of lion's cages. <laughs> and as soon as it gets to that smallest circle, the cages just open. <sighs> yeah. Or one of our uh, Red Dead Redemption Two should yeah. have it, and then you get to the center. It's nothing but endlessly spawning cougars. <laughs> it all just jump for your throat immediately. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, so let's talk about La Noir. Uh, this game is being revived for PlayStation Four, Xbox One, I think PC. Yeah, definitely Switch. Play Switch. Um, first Rockstar game coming to uh, Nintendo console in a long time. I think since uh, table tennis. Table tennis. So, yeah. Does L.A. Noir is that the game Rockstar should have revived, I guess is what I'm asking. No. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I mean, get it. I mean, look, I liked L.A. Noir. I, I, I enjoyed it. I don't know if I care to play it again. I would never play um, it again. And there's like three other games I'd rather have had a remaster of. Oh, wait, uh, how many Grand Theft Autos are there? <laughs> there's five plus a couple five offshoots. Five plus all the options. So there's at least six other games I'd rather have before this one? Eh. Maybe not the early Grand Theft Autos. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, look, I, w- I would have preferred Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, I mean, there's, or, uh, there's even, a really good one. Or even Bully. Yeah. Um, I mean, I understand, like, why maybe, you know, some people were saying, like, oh, my God, how come they didn't give us GTA V on the Switch? Uh, I'm well. pretty sure the answer to that is they're waiting for the online to be in place. Yeah. Because that's where their bread and butter is on yeah. that game. Um, I I have very little doubt that GTA Five will make it to the Switch. I you think, think it, it will? I think it will, but I think they're waiting for the online stuff to be in place because right now that's where they make all their money. Right, make all their money. <laughs> and, and right now, it's just not there yet. Like yeah. give it give it until after wherever the, all this stuff goes live in January, or February, or whatever. I don't remember what Nintendo said, but like I would not be at all surprised if you saw a GTA Five on Switch late next year. I mean, they have a 360 version they could port pretty easily from it. Yeah. It makes sense. But they want the online to be there already. This, and I hope that this is not a testing the waters case with L.A. Noir Because Rockstar has a no. tendency to do that. They do have a tendency to do it. But it's like, if you if you decide that you've gauged how GTA is going to sell by L.A. Noir, you're out of your mind. Like, it is Rockstar. It is Rockstar, <laughs> but I just I don't think that's what's happening. They're, they're just putting something out because they can. And obviously, it was already in the works for these other platforms. Do you I, not think, though, that if it does really poorly on Switch, that Rockstar might... Might... No. No? No. I don't know, man. 
I think GTA, because I think on a fundamental level, Rockstar views all its games as having I don't think a very similar aesthetic. No, I don't think they view L.A. Noir as that. I don't know. L.A. Noir was made by a totally different team, has a very different approach. And I is think Team Bondi even around anymore? If they are, I don't remember. I don't know. Weren't they working on Horror of the Orient or something for a while, and then they just sort of yeah. vanished? Yeah, I don't even know if they're still. I don't know. Every, still that, the guy who ran that company seemed to go crazy or something at some yeah. point, and sort of Rockstar kind of turned him into persona non grata, and that was the end yeah, of that. Yeah, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I liked L.A. Noir. I like L.A. Noir. I don't know if I feel the need to replay it. Although Sam needs to play it and yeah. his roommates because he he lives with some with some officers. Oh, that's I, right. I, I want to know. I want to know what they think of it. Basically, I want to see what, what they think of it because it's so centered around LAPD stuff. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, I mean, it's it's cool. It's fine. I don't think I want to pay forty bucks for it. Again. Amazing facial animation. Oh, incredible. even to this day. And if, and if you're a fan of Mad Men, all your favorite actors are in this. Yeah, yeah, game. you're right. Um, and uh, and it's a it's a legit noir story, right down to the fact that the protagonist is incredibly unlikable. Yep. Um, <laughs> Cole Phelps is not a good man, but uh, that's cool because that's not what uh, noir is about. That's Cole. Uh, it's Cole, <laughs> Mr. Phelps. Um, also taught me a new name, Finbar. Oh. His, his Irish cop partner at one point, his real name is Finbar. This is just the last Rockstar game I ever would have guessed that would be... Okay, the last one would be table tennis. But, yeah. uh, this, I mean, look, I think one of the reasons is this one's probably pretty easy to port. Uh, Red Dead Redemption 1 has been a lot of reports that basically the code on that is a mess. Because they had to cludge it together right. to get it out in time, and it's kind of a miracle it works at all. Um... I will say that the announcement of this did make me put uh, turn the Xbox One on again and play some more Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> <'Cause I'm just laughs> like, like, well, I guess that's never coming up or anything else, so I might as well play it here. Um, but I again, mean, kind of a recurring theme on this episode is, again. hey, here's another pretty high-profile third-party game coming to Switch. I mean, it, I don't know how far it seems third... like the tide is starting to maybe turn a little bit. I don't know about that. In terms, I mean, we'll we'll see. Even how... though it's a port of a five-year-old game or whatever. Yeah, like... see, that's again what I'm saying is like it's just who cares? Like it's like you've already, if you cared about this, you've already probably played it, and if you do care about it, you're probably gonna play it on another platform. Uh, again, I think there are a lot of people who only play Nintendo platforms. Somewhat and had a really rough time with the Wii U the last few well, years. Well, but... I'm gonna have a hard time telling you telling those people to go out and spend fifty bucks on this. Yeah, because it's ten bucks more if you buy the physical version. Yeah, so which is another recurring theme with the Switch. Yeah. paying ten dollars. It's forty. More it's forty for bucks game. on the eShop, so it's like yeah. the same price as everything else if you buy it digitally. Yeah. Um, but this, like, look, you play this on the train, you're going to fall asleep and miss your stop. If, you're, <laughs> yeah. if I'm being real honest no, about it, okay? It's not very action-packed. No, it's not. It's a... really all about the narrative and the conversations. Yeah, if you're, if you're and... expecting a noir version of GTA, that is not what this is. And I can see where watching this footage, it could be easy to make that assumption. Yes. Because you look at it, you're like, oh, it's like open world. He's driving through the city, and he's going on loca- in these locations. No, it's more like... Um... It's an investigative game. Yeah, it's, it's about it's investigating like, it's like, crime scenes. Yeah, it's and... cross the detective mode from the Arkham games with like telltale conversations, yeah. and that's basically what this game. Is. And you're supposed to like pick up like clues from facial expressions and stuff, but sometimes what you think you want to ask doesn't match up with what the buttons say. Right. And some it was a like the middle one. It's like it's I had like the same truth. problem with Life is Strange before the storm. It's like truth and like... lie, and the middle button is doubt. Yeah, and I guess the the originally the, the I saw earlier shots pictures of it and like the the original label for that button wasn't doubt it was like 
Um, Maybe. No, it, it was. It was. I can't remember what it was exactly, but it was like basically like bad cop. It was basically like uh, like accuse. It was. It was. It was like you're, you're. You think they're lying to you, but you want to like push. Like you want to intimidate them. Yeah. Whereas like doubt makes it more like mm, I don't know if that's what you're doing. But like sometimes you'll hit doubt, and Cole will be like like stop fucking around with me, and you're just yeah. like whoa, oh, dude, I, hey, I that. I yeah. <laughs> that was not what I thought I was gonna get doubt for. I, I think know. a lot of narrative games with conversation trees have that problem. Life is Strange Before the Storm does the same thing. Yeah, this it gives one, you these choices and then like what your character says is not what yeah. you wanted the character this, to this say. This is one all. of the worst offenders yeah. in, that, in that regard. Yeah. Um, but I, look, I did have fun with it. I enjoyed it when I played it. I did like it. It is kind of dated now. Yeah, but it, it's, I mean, it's not like really like anything else. It tells a, a solid noir story, I think. and uh, Some great characters in the game. Good characters, some really good performances and... Um, I really like the recreation of you know '40s era uh, LA. Like it's a really, that's another part it's of a it really too. nice. It's a really nice. Especially visual if you game. live you've lived here to see it kind of represented how it was way back in the yeah. the heyday of Hollywood, so to speak. All right, and, let's uh, move and also on. a good warm up for Shenmue with all the picking things up, turning them around, oh, putting right. them back down. <laughs> all you Shenmue three fans, this is a, this is a good warm up. You're right. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about the MPD sales for August 2017. They just came out yesterday. Maybe one of the most discouraging MPD reports I have ever seen in my entire life. Um, Not a lot of new stuff. No. Right? Can we put up the sales numbers there, Sam? So here are the top 20 games from last month. Madden takes first. Madden rules! I mean, no surprise there. It was, its, it was its launch month, and the NFL season just kicked off. It always does well. Although I will say, it did not have a lot of time on on sale. Right. Normally Madden has two, like two and a half or three weeks in August. This year it came out a little bit later. Still takes number one. There's number two. As usual. Grand Theft Auto V. Uncharted The Lost Legacy debuts at three. Are you surprised by that? I am a little bit. Uncharted has never been a massive seller, really. Uh, well, at least until the this last end. couple entries have kind of done better, but no, like, they were slow burns. On PS3, they sold something like a million copies each. They were slow very, burns on PS3. Very minor. But again, that was back when Sony used to literally promote its exclusives three years after they came out. They've kind of stopped doing right. that uh, of late. And then once you get past that, Look at all those games. They're all old games. I mean, and I think what you're seeing here, all of those games, almost all, and Agents of Mayhem debuts at 16th, by the way. I'm kind of um, impressed. Bomba. Cracked, I'm impressed it cracked that high, frankly. Really? Considering how it was received. Dude, I'm Forza it... Horizon 3 is right below it. It's been out for like a year. I, I just didn't think Agents of Mayhem even made that much of a ripple. I mean, if you look at that, it probably sold about 80,000 copies in its debut mm -hmm. month. I mean, that's pretty bad. 16, that's terrible. But if you look at that list, what are you seeing? Um, on the whole. No, on the whole, it's it's games that, basically, it's the games as a service thing. Yeah, that's it's, it. It's games that keep you playing with, with microtransactions or, or further content or whatever. It has completely you. taken over. Completely. And I think part of it is the consumers are mm -hmm. way, way more informed than they ever used to be. With the exceptions of, I mean, Crash, one, two, Uncharted, three, Uncharted, Zelda, Injustice. Although that's kind of a game as a platform too. Injustice, yeah, oh, yeah it's definitely a platform. I would call it a platform. So at the very least, it's using mobile game tactics to keep you playing every day. Yeah, but I mean. Ghost Recon Wildlands, Minecraft, yeah. For Honor, Call of Duty, that's arguable because it does come out every year. Um, Battlefield 1, and NBA that, 2K. And that 1 is, uh, what, 10 years old? 
remaster of a 10-year-old Call of Duty game? Which one? Oh, Black Modern, Ops. Modern Warfare. Uh, look at Black Ops 3. <laughs> Black Ops 3. So, I'm saying Modern Warfare Remastered is a remaster of a 10-year-old game. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right above Crash Bandicoot. Yeah. Right below Mario Kart. Yeah. <laughs> it's the remaster extravaganza. Sales were down year over year again. Um, even with the Switch going off. Switch was top hardware sales. Uh, for the month, beat PS4. I'm gonna guess that's why uh, Zelda's so high still, because people. I think people are inevitably buying that. It's one to one. Switch. Yeah, I mean that's what's happening with GTA 5. People buy a new console, they buy Grand Theft Auto 5. Same thing's happening with Switch with Zelda, um, which is why it's up there nice and high. Splatoon 2 holding strong still, uh, deservedly so in my opinion. But everything else, just a bunch of old games with DLC coming out over and over. And Wild I wonder. Land's still in there. Wildlands is weird in that I just never hear anything about it. It just keeps on trucking, man. And it it is the ultimate game as a platform. I mean, like, I don't remember the last time anyone I know mentioned For Honor, but it's still doing really well. Season three is coming up. They're getting, they're pushing the living crap out of that right now. Um, I did like that game, but I just fell out of it. Yeah, uh, sales are down year over year. Again, it's pretty much mm -hmm. a recurring theme at this point. Well, I mean, that's kind of because the... we're not seeing digital. Right. And all the retail money that's being lost is being more than made up for in digital. It's also kind of the inevitable end result of all this games as service thing is you want people to play your games longer, which means they're going to have less reason to buy another one. Yep. You're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, Pack has answered a question about that last, last month. And he said that the publishers are more than making up for mm -hmm. the lack of brick-and-mortar sales with their digital stuff and their microtransactions. So... How do you feel about it, Matt? Do you like a future where there are less games, but the games that we do have live longer? And I don't know. I mean, I don't tend to stick with them as long as these sales would indicate most people are sticking with them. We, we can't, though, because we have to keep playing new games so we have stuff to talk about on mm -hmm. Game Face, and um, so we're informed. I mean, look, I, I think this year is in the running to be the best release year of video games ever. It is. It's and got a shot, for sure. as such, I find it hard to complain. Yeah, yeah. Um, if like I get why it kind of can feel like a looming threat, uh, you know, like yeah. like in terms of like well maybe this maybe like it's good now, but if it becomes like the standard model, can it just sort of stagnate as we move forward? That's a possibility, but it's also a possibility with any, form, you know, people were saying the same thing about first person shooters or well, you know, what have you back in back in ten fifteen years ago. So it just I it goes if, in cycles. I think if if the new push is games as a service and the result is the games that we're getting right now i am okay with it i mean i think the thing is is if you're trying to design a game as a game as a service the game has to be really freaking good yeah it just has to be i mean you have no hope of making a service yeah. out of a game that is initially people, enjoyable you like, gotta have a game that people aren't just going to turn on twice they're going to turn on over 20 and times over 30 and times over 100 times and I, so i just think intrinsically organically these games end up being good. And if they don't, they go away. And the publisher goes back to the drawing board and tries to make another one. And, you know, if we're, we're on the side of the consumer as well. You know, we're, mm -hmm. not, we're not in cahoots with publishers. We're here for consumers. That's our job, to inform the consumer. Yeah. Although sometimes um, I think, you, you know, I think... I've definitely got my eye on Lawbreakers. Because Lawbreakers is an interesting example of a good game that can't get any traction so far. Yeah. And Did I, you see uh, Cliff Blazinski's interview this week yeah. at GameSpot? Yeah. Um, I appreciate what he's saying there. Yeah. Uh, but it's... Uh, I don't think it's going to change the fortunes of no, Lawbreakers. I mean, but, but a lot of what they're saying there is that, you know, like, should it launch with Team Deathmatch? Yes. Shouldn't it have that logo? Yes. Uh, it's like, 
should have been less of a dick. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are you going to do? Like, you can't water go back under the bridge and, now. Yeah, but it's like you can't go back and change it. But you also can't just cut, you know, cut bait and, and run because then no one's going to trust your next thing. Yeah. So they're kind of stuck with it for a while, and hopefully they survive it. I think the juxtaposition for Cliff though is that Nexon isn't worried about that. <laughs> they're not worried about Cliff Bozinski's next game. Mm-hmm. So to them, they're like, uh, well, let's see, we're throwing money into a bottomless pit here because you're trying to save face. Right. And there could be some friction there where Nexon is like, look, Cliff, like, we gave you mm-hmm. complete creative freedom to do whatever you wanted with this game. You did. You took it. You did it. It wasn't a success. We can't keep throwing money at you, bro. Like, mm-hmm. Well, I think at the very least they have to try it free to play. Yeah. Eventually. Well, they will, for sure. I mean, they were, they were, he, was, he, seemed, he seemed very... Uh, dismissive of that idea still but he'll get like, over it yeah it'll, it'll i think it'll come <laughs> and it, when it gets to the point of either this this thing that he's created surviving yeah i mean i've been going through this myself it's like well the worst part i think was when the, the chips are down you're willing to forget a lot of the principles mm. that you initially had when you work on a project well the worst part i think was when he's, he said you know the concurrent player base is something like 300 something and the uh uh, he's, he was talking about how you know it's a relatively small team. It's only about sixty-five people making that game, and someone on Twitter pointed out so one third of the current player base is the dev team. This is like oh, that's rough. like that's. There's no. I mean, need. probably not that many. There's no need for time, to tweet like, something like that at him. But it's just like why? What, what do you get out of that? Like people like to watch things go down you. in flames. The person who tweeted that, I'm awful. People like to watch things go down in flames. It's terrible. Uh, and it's like, and they're really picking. Tangent. They're really picking the wrong person to target with that. <laughs> yeah, he's not the guy that uh, you probably want to do that to. No. Well, also, he's not the you know kind of the the disingenuous like money, money, money like who right. cares about the game person. He's really trying to make a good product he for is, people because he doesn't need money. Right. He and has more money than he'll ever be able to spend. And he'll uh, and he's just you know he's just. I mean, I don't know why he this game got ignored. I so can't hard. understand it. I really like the game. I liked the game when it came out. I like it the more, the longer it's been out. They've made tweaks to it. It's got better. I mean, I think it does go back to what we said. It's just a little too bland aesthetically. It just doesn't have that punch. It doesn't hook your eye. Yeah, and it's just competing with games that do. So, yeah, notice it wasn't in the charts Yeah. at all. At all. I didn't even put that together. It wasn't even in the top 20. You didn't even think about it. Yeah. That's part of its problem. It is, yeah. Wow, that's bad. Because he did say in that interview that the PS4 version is fine and doing mm-hmm. okay. Well, mm-hmm. if it wasn't in the top 20 games of August, and you know number 20 probably sold 40 or 50,000. If it didn't outsell Agents of Mayhem. Yeah. It sucks. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about subscription services. Hmm. I know all about this. Obviously, Sifted has been a subscription site. Now we've moved to Patreon. Uh, so we moved away from the subscription model. But uh, VP at EA this week uh, was talking to, I believe it was Games Industry, and told Games Industry that he believes wholeheartedly that subscription game services are the way forward, and there's already the technology and the backbone in place to make it happen, and it's only a matter of time. What do you, what do you think about that, Matt? Basically, no more physical games ever. Right. Um, everyone's going to be streaming their stuff. And look, EA is a little incentivized to say this because it does have its own sort of subscription services. Mm-hmm. 
look, the only reason I have Origin on my computer is that I have to. Right. Okay? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't have any interest in subscribing to anything about EA in that regard. And, like... I mean, here's the really interesting thing. The other thing is, like, the, the things I like that come out of EA are things that, are, like, are one-off bits that, like, it's like, okay, how, how did we possibly get three Dead Space games? How did, you know, how did they make a sequel to, to Mirror's Edge? Like, those aren't going to be covered under a subscription situation. So I think that's a negative thing to me. Unless you're talking about, like, subscribing to a publisher... And you just get all I think he was talking about, like, PlayStation Now. Or, like, EA Access or whatever. Oh, PlayStation Now is garbage. Is it garbage? I, it, there's always a lag to it. There's always, it doesn't play right. It's, it's fine for what it is, but I can always tell, and I have no interest in that. But do you think as broadband gets better... No, because you're always going to be limited by the speed of light. Yeah. Like, I have to move the thing, it has to go to the remote location, it has to register, it has to do the thing, send it back to me, and then it reacts. There's always going to be a lag time that I would prefer to just eliminate by playing it on local hardware. And maybe that's me being an old man, but, like, I don't I don't have any interest in, in that kind of Gaikai thing. I don't, I, that, that's never going to work properly to me. At least certainly for things like fighting games and stuff that I like. You're never going to be able to do that properly. That, you, that always needs to be local hardware or two hardware connecting directly to each other. But you don't think that, like, a Netflix for games is eventually going to be the thing? Mm. It's hard for me to maybe say the, that it's not. Maybe in the casual market, but, like, I don't... It's not something I have any interest in. I... I, I don't know. I'll buy digitally, but I don't want to stream stuff from an outside computer. I, I mean, I know Pactor goes on and on about how that's going to be all just go through your TV and there won't be game consoles anymore or whatever. But I don't. I don't buy that. Not in the not in the next ten years. Really, I don't yeah. know. Unless they intend to replace all the internet cables in the country with high end fiber optic, like you're not going to have the speed to do that. Probably. But don't you think that they can do something on the back end to mitigate the reliance upon broadband? No. You don't think that they can shrink think the data I, that's going back and forth? I think you're still limited by the speed at which light travels. I mean, it goes real fast, but you're still going to notice that little lag time on it. Yeah. I, I certainly notice the difference when I'm playing, like, you know, I've played demos of PlayStation Now and stuff, and I notice the difference between playing Uncharted on that and playing Uncharted on my, you know, my local hardware. You can definitely tell a difference, but I think for a lot of games, that difference doesn't have that big of an effect. Obviously, online multiplayer stuff, it's no-go. No. It may never work. And online multiplayer and online service-based stuff is kind of where everything is right now, so I don't see how you make that work properly. Like, I don't want to play... I mean, Battlefront has enough problems with lag and, and making everything match up in the kill cam and stuff without having it being played on a remote server farm somewhere. Like, I don't see how that's going to work. Like, that, there's just too much there's too much air between you and the actual game running. I'm not interested in that. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I think one, one kind of clue that we're... We're missing, and maybe this is a, the fact that we're not getting the information is the clue, is that nobody knows how well PlayStation Now is doing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if it were doing especially well, we would know about it. And if it weren't doing well, we wouldn't know yeah, about it. it. And that's kind of where much. we're at. It's like, it's advertised like crazy. And Sony promotes it through its YouTube channel with it's trailers. right there in the menu every time you pull yeah. up the store. Um, but, I mean, I... PlayStation View, I feel like, is probably more successful than PlayStation Now at this point. Um, and that's just Sony's streaming TV service. But it's hard for me to think about the future. And having, you know, I've been a Netflix subscriber for a while now. 
and seeing how that works, it just feels like that's just kind of the future for everything. And you're right, it may take a while before it gets there. And EA wasn't hinting that it was going to take a while. He was kind of like, this is the immediate future, which I completely disagree with. Mm. But it's hard for me to not see eventually that being kind of the standard game delivery tool. It would have to be a massive improvement in internet infrastructure, and there you need server farms to run this stuff on a 100, 100, 150 miles away minimum or maximum for, for most of this stuff. Like it says the infrastructure required to do something like that would be massive. It would be massive on a level that I don't see EA undertaking. Hmm. So if they intend to do that, I don't know who they think is going to do it because it ain't going to be them. Yeah. Well, I think EA has proven that it is definitely not going to be them. EA is almost <laughs> never the first penguin. No. It's, they're never, they, they, they well, sit it's kind of odd. This is one example where it kind of has been, though. Usually EA sits back and is like, we'll let everybody else do VR first. Well, talk is and cheap. And fail. But then they, you know, Origin and EA Access. Origin like, is not the same as making me stream my games from another server farm. No, you're right. Like, that is not, that is a whole different world. That yeah. is not remotely similar to what they're doing on Origin. And that is an infrastructure cost that I don't think EA is willing to pay. Yeah. I don't think anyone's willing to pay. I mean, that'd be something that you'd have to, that'd have to come out of Netflix themselves or something, which I'm sure they have interest in, but they haven't actually made a move to do anything about it yet. Kind of a replacement of like the old Redbox idea. Yeah. Or, or Gamefly. I don't think Gamefly has the, has the capital to pull that off. Not anymore. That's for sure. Um, that's the thing is like I mean I any time you do something like that I mean PlayStation now is attempting it but you're just gonna have you're gonna have suboptimal performance and maybe at some point the the cost benefit outweighs the the negative but like for me I don't see that happening frankly ever and uh, the other thing is that you look at that NPD chart we just looked at almost all those games are online and multiplayer centric yeah. and you've already then that's a really that doesn't good work. point that's a really good point. So I just don't because think... that's where games are going. I mean, yeah. they're all connected now. If anything, it's going to be an also ran sort of. Here's how we're going to deliver single player and retro content to you because we don't want to manufacture shit anymore. Kind of PlayStation Now, right yeah, now. Exactly. I mean, to be honest, yeah. Which is like I'm just going to keep buying actual versions and installing them on my local hardware. I don't have any interest unless you know me. I don't even buy digital versions of games. I buy box copies of everything mm -hmm. I can. I don't buy anything digital if I can avoid it. I don't. I don't buy box all the time anymore. I buy, I buy digital if it's something that I know I'm going to be playing. If it's online, like Destiny, bought digital. Battlefront yeah. 2, I'll buy that digital because I never. Why would I ever play that with that with the disc? You know. Yeah. But like, but it's stuff like Uncharted. I bought a disc mm -hmm. because it's a single player game to me. Yeah, and I think anything that has resale value, I would always buy. Yeah, Nintendo stuff. It's yeah. always worth buying physical because someone will want that eventually. No doubt about it. Um, man, I like PC. I mean, I have reams and reams of PC games. I don't have, although I do have a ton of physical copies of, of PC games from like up to about 2008 in a giant box. I don't know what to do with. Like I'm, I've, I have like all the Dawn of War games, all this. I'm just like, what do I do? Who wants these? Sometimes know. though, those CD keys are still. They are sometimes still valid. I didn't know that. <laughs> it's until, crazy. I didn't know that until like recently. So I'm just like, wait, you mean I could have just plugged all these in a thing? Like, ah. It's crazy that some of those keys still live on on some of these services. I mean, I probably yeah. replaced all those games digitally on Steam for right. like a dollar each or something yeah. in Steam sales. Right? It wasn't wasn't anything. But like, it's not even worth a dollar to find like dig out the code. Right. And, it's like I just paid it's like, what you do? Although I did find out I do have some games that are valuable in that regard, and that is the Battle for Middle-Earth games. Oh. Never been reissued, not on Origin, um, and the license means they're gone. Like right. You can't do it. Yeah. So I have the physical copies of those, and those are apparently the only, those are the only uh, legal way to play that game now, and those are, those are pricey. Sadly, most of my boxed... And those are really good. Sadly, most of my boxed PC games were 
here. Oh, right. When we got robbed. Like, I lost almost all my boxed PC games during the robbery, so... Yeah, and like those are something you definitely can't replace. The two, the two, I'm trying to find somewhere to, to get rid of like those the the box you know the box ones. And the other thing I have I have a giant box full of Mac versions of games because I had only my only gaming p- computer for like most of the 90s was a Macintosh through college and stuff. So I have Mac versions of every every major game from the 90s. And I'm just like, does anyone? Need because they don't even work anymore. Like, <laughs> right. they, like if you have anything OS past I think nine, they like you can't work. run stuff from yeah. OS seven and back then. So I'm like maybe there's like a an archive project somewhere that needs Mac versions of things. Probably no? not. No, <laughs> probably not. There's no museum of like games <laughs> versions of games no one played much because definitely not for Mac. Yeah, I guess not. No, that's for sure. I right, just move along. People leave game developers all the time, Matt. Literally every week, at least a few people, or they left and they're going somewhere else, or they're retiring or whatever. But this week, um, it was different. One of Naughty Dog's co-founders, I believe? Yeah, I think. Bruce Straley, who has been with Naughty Dog for almost two decades. 18 years. uh, Has left Naughty Dog. He has been instrumental in the Uncharted franchise, The Last of Us, going back as far as, I believe, Crash Team Racing. Mm-hmm. Um, how big of a deal is this, Matt? Not at all. Not at all. So you think at this yeah. point he's already become the figurehead and Man, isn't doing a lot of the day-to-day... Oh, no, I think he's doing, like, real stuff. He's a game director, but, like, I mean, it's not like... I don't think it... I mean, maybe it'll have an impact on the on the upcoming games or something. But I don't know. I mean, you've still that's got, my concern. You've is... still got Druckmann. You've still got people that have been do, you know everybody. There's there's a there's a house style that Naughty Dog has that I think people will be able to. But emulate. doesn't that come from people like Straley? Isn't yeah, but, that where it comes from? Doesn't matter. Like it's been established already, and you know I I could probably get the tone of a Naughty Dog game down at this point. Like it's 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 something. I don't that, know, man. That's uh, I mean, I look at people and I would like argue him, that, and the I would Housers argue... at Rockstar. Like they're the people who come in and put and sprinkle the pixie dust on it. I would say that was Amy it... Hennig, and she's already gone. Well, she's a writer, though. Yeah, but that's where they've really been missing the the boat in Uncharted Four, and I think Uncharted Four also. Most took people some steps praise the Lost Legacy, though, for its. Oh, Lost and... Legacy is is a, definitely another step forward, and I think it remedies a lot of the problems I had with Uncharted Four, right down to the fact that. Uh, Nadine's there to have the same opinion about Sam Drake that I do. Yeah. Um, but I just I think uh, you know there's been a lot of turnover there recently. There's been a lot of like corporate change there. Um, Last of Us really altered some things, uh, and uh, I think it's a new era. And um, I'm not all that worried about it. Uh, also, it's, the man's been there 18 years. Let him let him move on. Oh, for let sure. Him. I mean, look, I'm not begrudging him for yeah. saying, you know, I'm done. Like, I'm out of here. I, I mean, mean that, and that company <clears> is <throat> that's a, that's a high intensity company. They're basically always in crunch. Naughty Dog is like, notorious for crunch and working I mean, long hours. And I mean, look, it pays off obviously in the quality of its games, but it is not. People want to work there for two years and leave. Right. I mean, that's generally... You want it on your resume. You don't want to be there for 18 <laughs> years. Yeah, like... every time I've talked to someone about Naughty Dog, they're like, oh, their reputation in the industry is that it's a grindhouse. Yeah. And that you're going to go there, you're going to give up your life to work there, and you get it on your resume, you get you ship one game from Naughty yeah. Dog, and then you pick you where pick, you want to work. You pick where you want to actually go. Yep. Um, you could even see it. Like, Naughty Dog will do recruiting v- uh, videos that it'll put up on its YouTube channel where they interview people and you can even like some of the interviews with their employees they'll even say like 
it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, it, it's kind of your life. <laughs> like, they don't even pull any punches about it. Um, so I can totally understand why he was ready to move on and maybe do something different or something completely different and maybe even get out of the industry. Um, my concern is how will it affect the quality of Naughty Dog's games? And I'm not quite as confident as you are that, uh, and maybe it's an, an accumulation effect where you've lost Amy Hennig, you've lost one of your figureheads, one of the co-founders, uh, Jason Rubin left a long time ago, and I will that say... That was nothing but an improvement, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really notice any difference from Naughty Dog once he left, but... I did, I suddenly started to like their games. <laughs> but, uh, with Amy Hennig, I think... You could notice it a little bit with Uncharted 4. I still thought oh, the writing was, was better than most video games. But Yeah, but it's the, the tonally, I think, Uncharted 4 was all over the map, and mostly that was where the ball got dropped, was uh, tone and treatment of some of the characters, yeah. uh, Elena. But right. I still thought it had Lost Legacy, I think, that special that. something that Naughty Dog's games have. I don't think it did. Really? I think it did visually. Like technologically, but in terms of I narrative, I still thought it had that charm and, and everything I, about I found, it. I find Uncharted Four completely charmless in that regard. Wow! Outside yeah, of I, a couple, I mean, Sully is always going to be awesome. Yeah. But like, I don't think I, I that whole game leaves me completely cold outside of a tech demo. Interesting. Uh, whereas Lost Legacy is the opposite. Lost, Lost Legacy, I think, gets the verve back, um, brings back the set piece stuff, uh, brings back the character interaction that doesn't annoy the hell out of me, acknowledges the fact that Sam Drake is an idiot. Um, like Lost Legacy, uh, Lost Legacy really kind of brought me back on the Naughty Dog train. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a pun if you finish the game. I think my other concern too is what we talked about earlier in that people go there, work for a game or two, and then leave. When that happens and you have a lot of turnover at your company, you're kind of relying on those backbone employees to be there to care. And if you're also hiring lots of new people, you need someone there to be the evangelist for that aesthetic that you're trying to impart into your software. I think Naughty Dog has those people. I mean, Druckmann's still there, but I don't know. There are plenty of people who have been able to absorb what Straley can do and can emulate what he does and understand. Straley's really smart. Understand? By the way. Have the, you ever met him or interviewed yeah, him? And understand the DNA of of what makes Naughty Dog Naughty Dog, and I think that they'll they'll find their feet on it. It should be fun. Also, the next game is Last of Us Two, which already had a very different approach and thematic kind of tone to it than Uncharted ever did. So they have a chance to sort of mildly reinvent themselves, probably in the way that Druckmann would prefer the direction to go, because clearly Druckmann has had a great influence on... Well, I won't say great, I'll say large influence. I mean, by great, I mean big, not ama not good, necessarily. Right. But he has had a large influence on kind of how Naughty Dog's games have moved forward from Last of Us on. And uh, I think that's just going to continue. And whether you think that's a good or a bad thing, I guess, depends how you felt about The Last of Us. Because I think that's the template going forward. All the way down to the fact that Uncharted 4 and Lost Legacy include pointless stealth sequences. Yeah. So. We'll see. Um, Not for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that could be. I mean, The Last of Us. They got plenty of time to get it right. I mean, The Last of Us Part 2 should be coming out next year. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they haven't shown us anything from that game in a long time. So. I feel like that's a 2019 game, but... It's possible. We could, could be, be a generation closer, so to speak. I Yeah, I, I mean, I said, we said it before, but I, I think Last of Us 2 will come out 
on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. That would be a launch Bridge title. game. That would be a bridge game launch title for, the, for PlayStation 5. I mean, truth be told, probably a lot of the work that he would have done on The Last of Us Part 2 is probably already complete. And maybe that's part yeah. of the reason why he's going. He's yeah. like, this I don't was... think he would leave that game in the lurch. Right. Because he was a big part of the first Last of Us. Mm. Um, and so maybe he's kind of already done his part on Part 2, and he's like, this is the perfect time for me to get out of here. I mean, he's wealthy beyond his wildest imagination, I'm sure. Uh, I don't know about that. Why? I'm, I don't think making games like that pays quite as well as you think it does. Well, he's part owner of the company. That's where you make your money. Well, if you're a co-founder, sure. I mean, he, I don't know the financial is inner workings. he a co-founder? That, I thought he was. Not if he's only been there 18 years. That game... That How long has Naughty Dog been around? I mean, the Crash games are starting like 96 or 97. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, you're right. He probably is not a... He's still made a lot of money, man. He's been paid well, <laughs> but I don't, I don't think it means he can just retire now. It's... Well, I guess it depends on how much money you think you need to retire. He lives in the L.A. area. You need a lot of money. <laughs> he may be leaving the L.A. area. I don't know. It's pretty crazy that he's leaving. So something... Some... I don't think it's crazy to want to move on to something else after 18 years. Yeah. No, I don't either. That's just not especially the way consider... America works anymore. Especially considering like just the, the schedule he must have been on, you know, especially in the last, like, couple of games grind you down yeah not a doubt surprised you lasted this long frankly yeah not lasted this long but it's like you gotta want a life <laughs> at some point yeah right? for sure yeah although you'd think he is at a senior place where he could maybe at least pick and choose his work hours a little more but maybe but i mean i feel like i feel like you're making a game that looks like uncharted or the last of us like that's a that's a 24 7 job yeah. to some degree i mean you're on call basically pretty much yeah all right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about a rumor that's been floating around. An indie developer went on Reddit and said that he has been working on Nintendo's APIs for Switch, and he believes that Nintendo is in the process of bringing trophies, achievements, whatever you want to call them, to Switch. My question to you, Matt, is does do achievements and trophies matter anymore? Um, not really. They to me, they don't matter. I mean, but they never the, really have mattered to me. But here's the thing. They don't matter to me on Xbox and uh, PlayStation in large part because they've been buried uh, in the interface this generation. I mean, previously, like in Xbox 360, you, lo you looked at anyone's profile, their achievement thing was right there. You could see yeah. the compare achievements immediately. It was it was a big part of how the interface brought you well, to it. Well, Sony's now, still that way. Like, you see their somewhat, name and you see the... Then their their trophy number or whatever there somewhat, but I mean most a lot of people I know have blocked their trophies and partly because they're industry people and they're playing yeah. stuff you think you can't know about yet. Um, it's just not something anyone. And trophies never had the the gleam on them that achievements did. Trophies were always an also ran. No, you're right. But the thing is about like the Switch. There's nothing else to do on the Switch, <laughs> and like. The idea that, like... You mean as far as, like, extraneous features, like right. Netflix and... That kind of thing, YouTube, yeah. yeah. And adding something, like, I mean, look, you add that and you don't make them retroactively pop, you've got everybody playing Zelda again. Yeah. You know, like, like I didn't see that being a, a cool way to... Not a cool way, it's not very cool, but, like, look, if you implement that in, like, January or February, all of a sudden everybody's got a reason to play Zelda again. No, you're and right. You and you don't have to worry about putting something out in Q1. No, you're absolutely right. So I, I mean, Nintendo fans have never had achievements. Like, there were those, what were they called, patches or something on Wii U? There were some games yeah, where... Yeah, there was that kind of, yeah. I can't remember and, what it's called, but they had some, like, little in-game achievement system. It didn't tie into the OS of the system itself. It was just certain games. It was games just in a game that, yeah. you could get 
achievements. And they so have like achievements in individual game, like like accomplishments or whatever, right. like little things that give you bonuses or whatever. Um, but a universal like OS level achievement system, not so far. But like, I mean, I can. Is see it worth it. the effort at this point to do it? I mean, I get what you're saying. You're right. Like, it could reinvigorate Nintendo's old games. Just giving them achievements could make Nintendo fans go back and yeah, play them again. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't see why not. I mean, it's just, well, when it's you just, start it's, looking at like Nintendo's awful chat interface for Switch, right? Well, which it just updated, so now you can actually dock your phone while you're using the chat on Switch. Oh, look at that! <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. It seems to me that there should be other more important things for Nintendo to concentrate on than I don't think. I don't think these are probably all the same people doing this. Yeah. I don't think it requires a giant team refocusing its entire effort to put achievements in a system. Uh, and the more the more reason you can have to kind of attach people to things, if you know, if you can make the achievement system have some kind of meaning uh, on a larger scale, like in the sense that that you know that the the trophies and the achievements never have been. If you make it so it's like. If you have certain achievements in, or whatever on the Switch, it unlocks these things you can use as avatar things. Or, like, you can do this and, like, if you have these achievements in Zelda, it unlocks this thing in Mario Odyssey or that kind of thing. If you, you give people a reason to do this, like, I think you've got, you know, if you get the, if you get the maximum achievements in Doom, you get Doom armor in Skyrim. Kind of thing, you know, like that kind of interaction the there. Thing. Nintendo because that's a reason to play Doom on the Switch, right? Right. Yeah. Even if you've already played it somewhere else. The other thing I would say about Nintendo is, is it rarely copies other publishers or mm-hmm. other platform holders. Well, no one else is doing this uh, now. So right. They're, they're yeah. technically, well, everyone else is like bailing out now. Now it's retro. But here's the thing I would say is that usually when Nintendo does iterate on something, it does manage to find like something yeah. unique to do with it. And uh, that is kind of the one caveat where I'm like, hmm, maybe it is worth Nintendo also, part working of me, on something Also, part of like me that. wants to see this happen just because I'm very curious what sound Nintendo would choose for when it <laughs> pops up. Because that's you know, going to be a coin or something. Maybe, but I, look, Nintendo's very good at sound design, and the trophy sound is garbage. Yeah. Uh, whereas the achievement sound is great. It is, yeah. That little drip sound. I don't even um, get notifications for my trophies on PlayStation 4. I, I never do. get the pop-up. And I've, cause I've turned them off. Mm. So it's like I just I'll go back and look at like what I got after I finish a game or whatever to see what trophies I've yeah. got, but I never know. While Although I'm I'll tell you what I am thinking about is going back and erasing all the damn screenshots it takes. Yeah, I'm up to like a gig of screenshots. They're so for worthless. Trophies. It's stupid. like who wants a screenshot of just that stupid pop up? Right. Well, and also nobody ever looks at trophies anymore. No. no one, no one thinks about it. No one does that. But you're you're right. I think Nintendo is. One company who could find an angle on this that mm-hmm. would make it relevant and fresh again. And it's going to be relevant and fresh anyway if Nintendo does it, just because it's never had them. Right. And Nintendo fans but are like, going to freak out. So. But if for once, if you put that Nintendo spin on something and make it, you know, make it work, make it bright, make it make it a, a, attractive, make it something that I'd want to look at my friends' achievements again, like on, on you know, whether it's like some little personalized display you get to make or like a little trophy case kind of thing, give it a little more texture. Chespa. Yeah, and like that could be that could be something, you know. Yeah. I, I I you know you make it compelling enough, and maybe I would play Zelda again just to get some trophies. Some I would not, but <laughs> I can see where some people would for yeah. sure. Uh, we're gonna finish it off with uh, another story about Nintendo. I think Reggie is trying to be uh, our White Knights, Matt, because he came out this week and said, "Do not pay scalpers for the SNES Classic." We are going to get enough out there that you're not going to need to pay exorbitant fees to scalpers. Um, don't do it. Trust us. 
Also announced this week, the NES Classic is coming back next year. Mm-hmm. They're going to start manufacturing those again. So can we really just tell the scalpers to go away? You can, you can tell them, but they're not going to. And people <laughs> are still going to pay 200 bucks for the damn things because they want it. Do you think so? I mean, do yes. you think they're going to need to, though? It doesn't matter about need to. It's, it's, it's FOMO. It's fear of missing out. It's, right. Like they, you know, no one trusts Nintendo to make more of these things yet. So early on, at least, people are still going to pay those ridiculous prices for these things. But what if they don't have to? What if they can go to the store and get them? They can't. They're sold out. They're gone. Like they're going to have to wait to the next shipment, and no one's going to wait for the next shipment. Are you talking about the SNES or the NES? Both, really. I mean, the NES is already selling for exorbitant, except for the thousands that other retailers seem to have stored away in sheds somewhere. I mean, that was that thing with the what that Amazon treasure box, whatever that was, where like like the the, the treasure truck where it comes in. Yeah. And their first thing in LA was a thousand NES classics, and that was in July. Yeah. Like you've just been sitting on these things, bro. <laughs> Do you not think that this may at least discourage scalpers from buying 20 or 30 of these? No. Really? No. Why would you Why would you believe what he says? Also, it's not going to be relevant to September Because it's 29th. Reggie, man. He always tells the truth. Uh-huh. <laughs> why don't you have me with our game lineup? Because we, Reggie told me. Why don't you have me with our game lineup? We gave you Animal Crossing. Fight me. <laughs> but, like, none of what he says here is going to be relevant on September 29th. You don't think? No. They're, he's talking about making more of them down the down the line, like getting them out there in time for Christmas or something. He's not talking about launch day. Right. Launch day, they're going to be gone in five seconds, and everyone's going to be on eBay trying to look for one for like less than two hundred bucks. I don't think most people are like, I have to have this the day it comes out. Though. I think you're completely wrong. Really? I think you. Otherwise, why are people going crazy to pre-order this? Because they want it, right? And they're going to get but it. They don't at necessarily all costs. want it at that first day. I think if they know there's more shipments coming in, it will definitely yeah, but they make think people be more patient. You're not you're not reading what people are saying about this online, I guess, because where Reddit, Gaff, well, Game those people Fag- don't count. Like they're... Twitter, everywhere, like people people are just like, oh, sure, they're gonna be make more, but it's the Otaku doesn't count. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking they're the about the ones who are buying these. They buy the first batch for sure. Yeah, they buy them forever. Like these, that's the other thing is like anytime people say, "Okay, Reggie's saying more is coming," but they're just gonna—they're assuming everyone assumes that they're just gonna disappear instantly, like this, like this batch did. Like the only thing that's gonna dissuade the scalpers is if this thing comes out and they are stuck with these things and no one will buy them, and that's just not going to happen at launch. It might happen in October or November. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. But like that doesn't matter right now. And like they're they're gonna have to put some serious product in the pipeline to prevent that from happening because the the furor over these things is gonna continue for at least two more waves. Well, I mean, I can tell you personally, I'm not gonna pay a scalper for one. I mean, after what Reggie well, said, would I. I am not gonna pay two hundred bucks for one. Well, I never paid. And I'm I'm otaku. I mean, Dude, I'm, I will not pay a scalper. On. Like I've never paid two hundred bucks for any as classic either, and neither did you. But hundreds, if not thousands, of people did. Yeah. We aren't the people you're talking about. But this is different. No, I mean, we don't know It's not yet. different. It's different from the NES Classic because they never gave anyone this assurance that there was going to be more. They never said there was going to be more stock right out of the gate like Nintendo did this time. Nintendo never came out like three weeks before launch and said, hey, don't pay scalpers for these things. We're going to have plenty for everybody. They never did any of that with the NES Classic. Mm-hmm. Well, because they didn't think they had to. But, like, I'll uh, slot that right into the, uh, we'll have your online service running uh, by the end of summer for yeah. the Switch. <laughs> and the things I believe when I see it. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, look, I feel like something like this where you come out and you kind of make this authoritative statement, like, I I don't think Reggie would just say that. What incentive does he have to just say that? Oh, I don't think he is just saying that, but what, but whether they're saying it is not the same thing as doing it. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that can happen between Reggie saying thing and thing happening. And we'll see if they even get enough product in the I mean, they already said they're making more for this, for right. the Super Nintendo in the first place, and it was gone in an instant. And are, do you trust them to make enough copies of anything to, well, to get it out there? Because I don't, I don't know la- how many Because last had. I checked... I don't know what the allotment was for pre-orders. So. Not, nobody does, but right. the, the allotment was not enough. It wasn't very many. And this is simply a thing that's continuing, because I don't know if you've tried to go out and find one of those Metroid Amiibo today, because it just came out today, but they're gone. Yeah. They're gone. You'll never see them again. It, but... Like, Nintendo doesn't make enough stuff. And maybe this is the moment where they realize, like, that they got to turn it around and do it right and make, make enough to meet demand. But they haven't done that for years. So until they actually do that, I'm going to say, hey, get it however you need to get it. But say, see, to me, the fact that they went on sale at, like, 2 in the morning and sold out very quickly, to me, that says they didn't have that many. Because only the hardest of the hardest hardcore... We're awake at 2 a.m. Well, to see a tweet from Wario 64 and but, go but buy it, this thing. But it wasn't 2 a.m. It was at 8 p.m., which is when no, I got that's mine. that's GameStop was 8 p.m. No, that was Amazon Best Buy. was like middle of the night. Amazon was like 10 p.m. Because no, I got, I got not, both of them. Right. That is absolutely right, because that's when I ordered it. I got my Best Buy one. At, I saw Wario's tweet. It said like 2 in the morning. Yeah, it went live again. That was the second time. Uh, More popped up. More kept popping up on Amazon every few hours. Uh, and he would it, tweet yeah, over yeah. and over again. Got but it. I got mine right around 8 p.m., 9 p.m. area from Best Buy. Uh, I almost missed it because I, I, his tweet was... Did like, you have a life? Was fi- I was eating dinner. <laughs> 15 minutes old. But then I got that there. And then I ordered one for, uh. for Benson on Amazon when that went live at like... 11, 10 or 11 at night, I think, because yeah. he was already asleep, so I just ordered it for him. Um, I'm just going to say, I, them coming and then Target out and went live the next morning has eased my concerns a great deal. I'm not so concerned now about waiting in line at Toys R Us starting at 5 in the morning. I'm not, I'm not even thinking about buying one from a scalper on eBay or Craigslist. Like, I feel pretty confident now that I am going to get one. Yeah, but and I'm not going to have to pay more than retail to get it. Yeah, but I don't think you're the person that they need to talk to about that. You were never going to buy one from a scalper, I don't think. If you didn't buy an NES one, why would you buy a Super Nintendo? Well, because I like Super Nintendo more than NES. Well, true, but, <laughs> but it's just like, I, there's ton, I think there's tons of people that are still going to pay scalper prices to get this thing around the launch window. Yeah. I mean, look, Because I don't, they're afraid they're never going to see it again. Anyone who got the first allotment and bought 20 or whatever they bought, they're going to sell all those. Yeah. For sure, I agree with that. But I think after that happens, I think if... People try to do that again. I think they're going to have a harder time trying to make a profit on it. Maybe, but that's still going to lead to not nobody being able to get them. Yeah. I mean, it's going to take. It's going to take. Oh, you know, I think everything. Scalpers are going to do real well out of the gate on this thing, and then they're going to buy up the next allotment, maybe in October or whenever they ship them. And yeah, maybe those will sit around and they won't be able to sell them. Yeah. Um, but those are still units off the shelf that real people can't, can't buy. buy. Yeah. And so maybe... They like, still suck. That's oh, still, yeah, yeah. Like, people still freaking and suck. And so maybe by, like, November, yeah. you'll be able to find one on a shelf. But it'll be a while. And for some people who desperately want to play Star Fox 2, for some reason... Yeah, I um, get that. They're gonna, that's going to be too long, and they're going to pay scalper prices to have that thing now. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. So hopefully, people, it, hopefully that lag time means you can hit a point where it just doesn't... 
like matter anymore. And then, the, and then, of course, the same cycle will repeat again with the NES Classic next year because early on, no one's going to trust that thing to not disappear immediately. Do you think it'll happen again? Yeah. Really? You'll have the same thing we just went through with the Super Nintendo pre-ordering. It's been a long time since that thing came out. And, a and lot then of, after and the a SNES people, comes out... And a lot of people didn't never get got one. one. Yeah. I've never even seen one. in a, I've seen one in, some, in an executive's office who has sent it. I've never seen one in a store ever. So I've only seen yeah. one in person. I've never seen one in a store. I mean, ever. do you think they ever hit a store shelf? Oh, yeah. Really? Well, I mean, in the sense that, like, they came to a store and someone picked one up and bought it. Right. But, I mean, but do you think they ever they made it to a shelf? store shelf? No. I don't think they ever did. I don't think you could have ever walked into a store and saw one just sitting oh, no, there that never. you could pick up and take to the register and buy. No, I don't think that ever happened. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, maybe, like, some really, like, out in the boonies, middle of nowhere place in Montana. I don't know. Maybe there was maybe there was a Walmart somewhere that no one knows. Yeah, that's under a log that that that, <laughs> that only the beavers shop at. They 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 still have an NES Classic sitting there. The, on the beavers shelf. have their own Walmart. I like. Well, that. the beavers are Sega fans. Right. So. <laughs> All right, that's gonna wrap up the last topic. It's time for our trailer of the week, and as you guys know, it's time for you guys to get your questions in a chat. Our trailer of the week this week is for. A drum roll. Oh, it needs new batteries. <laughs> <laughs> it's for Okami HD. So Okami is a Zelda clone that originally was from the PlayStation 2 and Xbox era. Um, a really good Zelda clone, I might yeah. add. Probably one of the best Zelda clones ever. Yeah. Uh, it has a crazy paintbrush mechanic that you use to solve puzzles. And, and it's really long. It is a huge, <laughs> huge, huge game. Like, you you think... There's a point at which you think you've finished it. Yeah. And it's actually, like, you're, like, one quarter of the way through. Yeah, yeah. Like it is it's, a big it's boy. It's huge. Yep. But it is coming now to PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC? Is it coming to PC? Yeah, I think there was a PC mentioned. And there was already an Okami HD for PS3 as well, right? Yeah, that was on PS3, because it was on Wii originally. Yeah. And then there was a PS2 version. Yeah. And then it came, Then the PS2 version got up-res to, like, I think it was like 1080p, like, solid 30 on PS3. It was, it was good. It looked good. They're saying this is going to run in 4K, though? Yeah, that's what they're saying. Pretty crazy. Um, if you never heard of this game, you should have. But if you haven't, you should definitely check out this trailer. And even if you're just a big fan, you should watch it anyway. So... Here is the debut trailer for Okami HD.
So that's a pretty long trailer. You may think watching that that you're like, oh my gosh, they showed so much of the game. No, it no. <laughs> just like I'm a little concerned. Like the there's there's, a grain of sand. Yeah, there seemed to be a there's like some kind of effect on Amaterasu in that, like yeah. where she looks a little blurry. Yeah. Kind of. Like at first I thought it was just my eyes going weird or something, but I'm like she definitely looks different from the other character. I guess it's because she's supposed to be like ethereal or something. Yeah. I don't think it works in the art style. Yeah. Because that is, I mean, it's clean, though, man. Yeah. I mean, that game, that HD remaster looks real right. clean. Well, that's why I think she looks weird, is because everything else is so sharp, and she looks kind of a little fuzzy. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know. See that. I, I guess it's, that's intentional, but I don't really like it. We do have one question about Okami we just want to answer right out of the gate. Um, you say, where'd it go? Oh, here it is. Stan user. How did you think Okami stacks up to the Zelda series? What does it do better? What does it do worse? Um, it does wolves better. It does wolves better. It does. <laughs> it does combat better for the most part. Yeah, I um, think I would agree with that. Zel Zelda's never been. Is better. Zelda has never really focused on combat outside of a couple of games. Yeah. Um, and uh, it does the size and the epic kind of scope a little better in some places. I would certainly argue, better than its contemporaries. I would argue innovation. It does better. I mean, the yeah, whole the painting paint, mechanic paint is, is unlike anything yeah. you've ever really seen in a Zelda game. Yeah, for all like Nintendo spent all those two thousands years talking about innovation and, and ways to surprise you, Okami was the one that really did, took an innovative approach to yeah. how you interacted with the world in a Zelda game. I would say Zelda does story way better. I would say its relatability is much stronger. Okami is a very kind of obtuse, strange game. Well, it's it's a retelling of Japanese right. mythology to a to a degree that like if you're not already familiar with it, you're going to find a lot of it weird because some of it's some of it's a little shorthandy. You know what I mean? Like it's like I think that game assumes you already know the stories it's telling. So right. part of the entertainment value is supposed to come from its sort of weird, like funnier or modern twist on how they're telling the story. Yep. Uh, so some of the surprises in the narrative are reliant on knowing the story, the, the the vanilla version of the story. It'd be like if somebody did like a Snow White and the Seven Dwarves parody, and you'd never seen Snow White. Yeah. And you, and so like the idea of 
the, the dwarves with different names doesn't the joke doesn't work on you because you don't know the mythology. Yeah, for sure. So, but it's like you know, you learn a lot. <laughs> I, <think laughs> I, I started looking up all the all the stories it's based on after I played it for the first time. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. For sure. Uh, let's see. Here's one for Matt from Texture Glitch. Matt, last year you said you had some secret knowledge about how badly the game industry was doing and why the sales were down. And the whole industry was in the verge of a meltdown. You said you couldn't go into details, but can you talk about it now? Considering um, all the great releases planned for 2017, have we weathered the storm? Well, I didn't. There, there, nobody knows why. That, that was part of the problem. But just about everything that was released in, the, in Q4 last year the, the the thing that I've just about everything was released in Q4 last year sold about fifty percent of its target, yeah, um, which is hor- hor- horrifying. Yeah, uh, and nobody knew why. No one still quite knows why, and everybody's kind of waiting to see what Q4 this year does. Um, as you said, a lot of sales are down. It might just be a kind of a a, a natural outgrowth of the games as servicing because the games as service stuff is doing really well. It is, yeah. Um, so it might just be a symptom of that shift to playing a single game longer as opposed to picking up a giant flurry of holiday releases, which in the end might actually be good for the schedule because it means everyone won't feel quite so pressured to put their thing out around Christmas, um, which I think we're already seeing a little bit this year. Yep. Um, so in terms of like the secret knowledge, it was just more like specifics on how little things. So that fifty percent number was something I was that was mentioned to me by several different people, who were looking at finally getting like their their inter- the internal reports on all everybody and the comp- competitions games and everything. And a lot of people were freaking out about you know how low Infinite Warfare's sales were, because um, that was sort of a barometer Titanfall people use. Titanfall two. I mean Titanfall two had a lot of other things going on, but like the fact yeah. that. Call of Duty didn't sell well was like that's kind that's of that's a big deal. That's the canary in the coal mine to yeah, a lot of people, and for like sure. so people were kind of so it's still kind of ongoing. People are waiting to see what Q4 this year looks like, and I mean I imagine Q4 this year will be pretty strong. I think Battlefront Two will sell very well. I think Mario Odyssey will blow the doors off just about everything. Hardware sales are going to be up this Q4. Definitely, and uh, I mean Mario's sales I guess depend on how many Switches Nintendo can Switch get. Switches going to sell well. Xbox One X is going to sell whatever it. It has. Or it can. Yeah. yeah. And PS4 is going to sell like it always does. So it should be, hardware should be up. Software, we'll see. But yeah. um, so it still, can't be as bad as last year. Maybe not. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot of breath holding right now in terms of what are the sales going to look like for Q4. Yep. Uh, Johnny Hurricane, do you think the fact that GTA is on last gen is one of the reasons it's still in the MPD? No. Um, if you actually look at the article that's curated on Sifted about this month's MPD report, um, MPD makes a point to say sales are down because sales of last gen have completely bottomed out and are gone. Uh, so that's why year-over-year sales uh, for hardware and software have been down this year. It's because people have completely abandoned Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. So it's one of those rare cases where the MPD actually gave us the answer to something for once instead of being cryptive. They used to be way more uh, forward with the information, and over the last few years they've been shutting up to uh, get people to subscribe to their service. So, um, JReadVix7, at what point does the games press adjust to the reality that more people are sticking with games for years as opposed to focusing the bulk of the coverage on new releases? That's a pretty good question. Um, uh, well, here's the thing. Read that again. Actually, I didn't hear the end of that. 
at what point do the games does the games press adjust to the reality that more people are sticking with games for years as opposed mm-hmm. to focusing on the bulk of their coverage on new releases? So he's saying, why is it, why isn't the press like more covering the coverage. living crap out of Rainbow Six Siege and all these games that yeah. people are playing in, in in Overwatch? I think the press is covering somewhat. I mean, the I living think, crap out of Overwatch. I think, I think there's room for an experiment, and nobody wants to try it because it would cost money to hire people to do it. But I think yeah. there's room for an experiment where you like a like an outlet would have like like a, a League of Legends guy, like like people on a beat. You, know you I mean? kind of see that with IGN, like they have a IGN podcast has the, has the just for that, Destiny, yeah. and yeah. there's a couple other games where they've done that. With They're probably the, the only outlet big enough to do something. Has like the that money anymore. to do it, yeah. Um, but I think there is room for kind of that sort of you know we got a guy who just plays Overwatch, yeah, and like he reports on Overwatch, yeah. And we got someone who just plays Destiny and Destiny Two, and she is the one we go to for all that. You know, like I think if you had the bandwidth and the employees and the money, like maybe give you know maybe people could like double or triple up on on you know big ongoing games. But I think I think that is a a like a, like a business model to start to look at for some of the bigger outlets. I think the numbers, though. I mean, look. When you're a business, you make decisions based on data. And I can tell you, we have a lot of data about what you guys watch and when you watch it. And one piece of data that we have is any Senran Kagura trailer is the most viewed trailer that day. (laughs) (laughs) But it'll only get like five likes. It's really Mm. funny how that works out. Uh, But we have lots of other data, too. Can you see, like, the names of everyone who likes a thing? No. Okay. No, we don't. So likes are anonymous. Yeah. Yeah, at we, least in we, our data we, there. We can't out the Senran Kagura no. likers. <laughs> no, we can't. <laughs> There's a lot so of there them. There you go. You can like the Senran <laughs> like Kagura away. stuff as much as you want. <laughs> but, I mean, the data tells us that there is a curve. So when a game is first announced, it spikes up. And then for the first, I don't know, three or four pieces of media, it kind of flattens out. But as time goes on, your interest in that game just starts to slope down. So how low is Sea of Thieves? At this point. It's pretty low. <laughs> I mean, for a for, for an exclusive game, it's low. It's probably among the lowest of all exclusive games at this point. And then what happens is it goes down, and then it's released, and it spikes. And then three or four days later, it's gone again. And then when when you get you get little bumps when an expansion or whatever launches. But typically, there's not data there to back up the idea of c- concentrating your coverage on mm. games as a service games. Because the other part of it, too, is that the people who are so into those games are playing them every day. And you don't have to go to a website or whatever to get information on that because you're fed it by the game and by the other people who are playing the game through your mic and your headset or whatever. So there are different sort of delivery techniques to get that information to the most dedicated. And all they have to do is just put up a splash screen when you log in every day and say, hey, this new DLC is coming. Here's a trailer if you want to watch it. Um, and, and I think in a lot of ways, the publishers like that because they are cutting out the middleman. You are sucked into their environment for their game, and they want to keep you there. And they keep you there by giving you all the information that you need, completely absent of any criticism, I might add. So I just I don't know if it's financially viable for a site to spend too many resources on that. I think IGN is smart for doing like its Destiny podcasts and stuff like that, but then it goes away. When they're for, oh, for a while, when there's nothing really to talk about, it just started again with Destiny 2. So um, when you're IGN and you're just kind of looking for ways to spend your content budget, I think that's a smart way to do it. I don't think it's a great idea to kind of 
focus your entire editorial policy uh, on that type of coverage. Well, also because if you really want that kind of coverage, you have endless YouTube channels of like independent people who just want to talk about Destiny to deal with. Yeah. Feels like maybe the internet culture or the YouTube side of things or the Twitch side of things kind of makes that sort of thing redundant because you're always going to have somebody more dedicated to it doing it because it's what they love. Yeah. Rather than what they're getting paid to do. And I think with games as a service, you have the players who are probably way more informed than the journalists. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> and I think in some ways that coverage may fall on its face because the people are watching and be like, you don't, I know more than you do. Right. And like a lot of that coverage is going to draw from those players. Right. So and like, so they're going to watch it and be like, you're just why am I watching this? Yeah, you're just telling the community things they already know at right. that point. And they're just there to tell you you're wrong anyway. So. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that it ultimately works out that well. Uh, G- GP Wally, what what could bring back an old franchise back to its golden days, like Call of Duty or Farfetch Command and Conquer? Whew. I don't know if there's anything we can do for Command and Conquer. Yeah, that ship has sailed. Yeah. Although, the revival of the FMV stuff mm. has mm. been going on the last like year and a half or whatever. Yeah, but you still got to play a real-time strategy game between those things. Yeah. <laughs> Using the wrong mouse button for click, I might add. Yeah. That was going I did go back a couple years when when they gave away the 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 Command and Conquer like collection or whatever on yeah. Origin a couple years ago. I went back and played the first Command and Conquer. I played that was I think the original Command and Conquer or the original Warcraft would have been the first online game I ever played. And I was like, it took me like three minutes to figure out, like, like you select the, the, the unit with the mouse button, and then you click to move with the same button. Which yeah. I'm just like, that, that's <laughs> wrong. Like, <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> How? I, I mean, I don't know. Have you have you checked out the game Tooth and Tail? I've seen it pop up in my SIP, but I haven't looked at it. That, the way they're handling the, the RTS with that game, it's more of a simplified, almost Pikmin-esque kind mm. of way of handling the genre maybe that could revive command and conquer uh call of duty i mean the 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 upshot is command and conquer is never coming back because ea is not going to do that yeah ea is going to throw it in the in the in the pit in the back of the back of the yard with all the other dead franchises they own and won't do anything with yeah and killed off and if anybody would like to go dig up wing commander i wouldn't (laughs) mind playing another one of those one day uh let's see we'll answer a couple more um Remember, guys, every week it makes it much easier for us to find your questions if you at Sifted Games, because we just start skimming through these and we don't want to spend a lot of time looking. Um, well, that didn't help me. Kills with kindness. Oh, I guess you're right. Are you worried about the reported low attendance of NFL games this year? <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> I don't care. No. I mean, it makes it easier and cheaper yeah. to go. And at a certain point, they're going to probably just start mailing us Rams tickets. So. Yeah. Because <laughs> no one's going to those games. Damn. You could get tickets last week for the Rams opener for $7. Really? Yep. Wow. Yep. It's bad. Um, Anakura, no. Switch selling more than decent. Will Nintendo ever take the step to stop making their DS models when they are selling well? Hmm? I, I assume that means are they going to stop making 3DSs because the Switch is doing well? Yeah, I don't think that they're related, though. I don't think that uh, they don't... It's not like they're going to shut down the 3DS line and convert it into a Switch line. Well, a whole lot, of, pe- different manufacturing a whole lot of people seem to expect them to do that for some reason. Yeah, that's not how it works. No. <laughs> also, like, you don't abandon the platform you've got, like, 40 million install base on. Yeah, pretty, especially with software. But, I mean, he's right. They're introducing new 3DS models, like... Every like month still. Oh, I got. Well, I think my uh, Metroid 
3DS should be here today. Oh, uh, yeah. That was, that's a really cool one. Yeah. But they introduced, like, a Pokeball one and, like, the orange and white one that's been out, I think, in Europe for a while. Like, that's coming to the U.S. Mm. So I can get where you might think, oh, my gosh, they keep making this 3DS. They need to sell and create more Switch consoles. But that's not how it works. It's not like they shut down the Switch line. Oh, manufacturing-wise, no. And then they just move the line over and it makes the Switch. No. That's not how it works. So don't freak out over that. It's more about software, though. They're, they are spending development resources on 3DS games that could be put towards Switch. So that's where the bigger issue comes up for me. Uh, let's see if we can find one more. Uh, wow, the chat has rambled on since we asked for questions. I like this one. Favorite video game character. Who's that from, Sam? Mitchell's Alive. Mitchell is Alive. What is our favorite video game character? You go, Matt. Jeez. Like of all time ever? Hmm. It's tough. That's a really tough question. It might be Geralt. Really? From The Witcher? Yeah. I like him a lot. He's uh, just his... The weary sarcasm of a man who's just here to do a job and has to deal with idiots constantly. Like, I, I identify with some of that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know. That's Every funny. once in a while, the fact that he approaches his job sort of the same way like an office worker would approach their sort of day-to-day -day drudgery, and except his job is killing like manticores, yeah. I think I think is a really cool. And he's he's got a he's got a sense of humor about him, but he's also kind of got that gruff Batman thing going on. I I I, I put him up there. Probably be either him or um. I'd probably be either him or Mega Man. For me, even though I'm not a huge fan of the actual franchise, I like it, but I'm not like mega over the moon over it. I think my favorite character is Solid Snake. Um, I think what I like about him is that he works in a lot of different eras of time. Um, and look, you know, the, their contrivances that they've used to put him in those different eras, it's up to your own judgment to decide yeah. whether you like that or not. But I like that as a character, he is flexible enough that you can put him pretty much in any time period and his outlook on life still kind of works and he's still relatable. Um, I also like the fact that he's really into technology and he uses a lot of gadgets, but he's also kind of this in the in the dirt, in the trenches soldier who can survive with like popcorn and like a strip of gauze or whatever. Um, I just think he's really versatile. I think he works in a lot of different situations and, and I mean, cinematically he's great. Um, from a narrative perspective, he's great. Uh, I just think he's one of the greatest video game characters of all time, and he's probably my favorite. I think so, so basically, if you want to be our favorite game character, you got to smoke a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you got to have a gravelly voice. I think, and probably my runner-up would be Samus. Um, mm. Just because of the mystery, I realized that was ruined a little bit by Other M. Other but, M never happened. Yeah. <laughs> You're dead to me. Uh, so yeah, I guess those would probably be my two, my two favorites. All right, it's time to get to our sponsor. Want to bring it up, Sam? Extraturns.com, our first sponsor. Now that we've moved to Patreon, thank you very much for your sponsorship. Uh, your games deserve more. There are so many stores and sites that will charge you 10, maybe 15% or more for the privilege of, privilege of selling a used game. We charge zero. Extraturns.com is a brand new marketplace being built from the ground up so you can sell your games, collectibles, electronics, and memorabilia. Not only will we beat our competitors' commission in every category important to you, we will also make exchanging your used games commission-free. You get 100% of the value of your collection. 
Sign up for the pre-launch and share us on social media to be entered to win an SNES Classic this holiday season. ExtraTurns.com There you go, folks. That's Game Face, episode 102 in the books. Hope you guys enjoyed it. It's been a long one. I think yeah. we just, did we just tip over the three-hour mark, I believe? Yeah, they, they can't see a nod, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, we're going to put some time stamps on this one for YouTube. But uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, hope everybody has a great weekend. As I mentioned, we are working on our Patreon. Our Patreon is at about halfway. We've got about two and a half weeks left. Um, if we don't hit our goal, this is all going away, which is pretty sad to think about. So... Um, if you're lurkers who have watched the show on Twitch for the last two years, um, if you're a basic subscriber to Sifted who's been getting a lot of use out of the site, kick us a dollar for a month or for the for per month. Um, hopefully, you feel like at this point you've got enough uh, usage and love out of Sifted to give us a dollar a month at least. So, thanks to everybody who's contributed already. Uh, we really appreciate it. Again, like our cont contribution per. Uh, patron is really high, and we appreciate that very much. So, everyone have an excellent weekend, a safe weekend. Game Face is up and out.